Welcome, one and all. It's Mr. Chris with Funkatopia Live, the Funkatopia radio show, with my amazing co-host, the one and only Jeff Page. How you hey, doing? Hey, what's happening, everybody? What's up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so tonight it is an honor, an honor uh, to welcome the one and only Bernadette Cooper in the house. We didn't even check to see if she was actually back. because I'm back. She is back. She is back. I'm back. <laughs> yeah, Bernadette time, is in the house. I'm back but this time. I'm with my man. Oh, okay, man. Oh. All right, don't don't slap her. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> slap me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, I need a little bit more level on you, Bernadette. But I think All right. be okay. I'm going to try to get a little closer here. Oh, that's great. Does that help a little bit? Yeah, that definitely helps quite a bit. So. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to welcome the one and only Bernadette Cooper, producer extraordinaire, creator of Madame X, creator of Climax, drummer, singer, genius, the one and only Bernadette Cooper. Whoa, whoa. (laughs) So how are you feeling? You know what? I'm great. I'm well. Everything is good. So... I'm happy. So life is beautiful. Well, that's good. And that's that's probably more important than anything I could we could ask for. Right. Absolutely. I mean, nowadays it's just like everything is just kind of haywire with everything else. But you know what? I, I'll tell you what, Jeff, you want to go ahead and start a slideshow thing. For for those of you who are watching on YouTube and Facebook, uh Bernadette is doing a audio only. So we have actually kind of created a little bit of a slideshow scenario so that you guys would be able to have a little bit of visual for for the whole process. Uh, we kind of got all the questions laid out. So and if you have any questions, please, please make sure that you put them over in the chat area again, both in YouTube and also on Facebook. And uh, let's get started because I, I don't want to waste any of these precious moments with you. It's like an honor to have you here. And I'm just uh, I'm just so glad because there's so many exciting things to share. Like I know that you guys are going to be Climax feature. Let me, let me rephrase that. Climax featuring Bernadette Cooper is going to be out on the road uh, coming in 2022. And I'm like so excited about that. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm hoping that's going to come through Atlanta, but we've got lots of stuff to talk about before that. Okay. Um, so tonight, you know, one of the things that you had mentioned on your Facebook post, you had mentioned that you were kind of airing out things is how you kind of worded it. And I'm very excited about that because there are tons of questions that people have, you know, about some of the drama and storied past that you've had over the years. And, and just so that you can kind of move on to the next chapter of your career, destroy that rearview mirror once and for all. And just, I'm, I'm honored that we get to be a part of that journey uh, and kind of just, just kind of air some things out. So, you know, I, we're watching the questions. So whatever questions that you guys have, please feel free to go ahead and send them. But before we go there, I kind of want to spend some time honoring your journey up to this point. Um, you are well known for being that spoken voice in Climax, that sexy overtone, very deliberate. Uh, Many people, I'm willing to bet bet many people here listening now do not realize that you are also the drummer. A lot of people don't realize that. Um, Yes. And a great drummer at that. So I want to chat about that just briefly. You had said in previous interviews that your family really wasn't musically inclined, but that your mother and don't mean to give away some of your story, but your mother had married a church minister. I guess there's probably tons of personal stories there, I'm sure. But he had a drum set that you gravitated toward when you began your journey. 
so the first question I have for you is that as you're learning your craft, who are you watching or who did you see that influenced your style? I mean, is it Stubblefield? Is it Buddy Rich? Who are you paying attention to, to kind of learn your craft? Well, you know, during that time I was very young, so uh, I wasn't, you know, there wasn't really many drummers that I was trying to pattern after. It was sort of my um, stepfather moved in and um, he had a drum set and put it up in the living room. And I came home and started um, practicing and practicing. And then as I moved on, I started listening to other drummers, you know, um, um, can't remember who, who did I listen not really so much focusing on other drummers but just playing to whatever modern music that was happening in the 60s and the 70s more the 70s yeah right because I mean I mean I, now here's something that's kind of a little bit side to that um, because I had also heard you mention that you at that beginning stages that you had played with your brother who was a bass player yes um, uh, I guess the first question is um, not to get too personal, but is he still with us? And did his musical career gain any ground? You know, my my mom during that time, and when my right before my my stepfather actually moved in with the drum set, she asked us, "What do we want to do?" I said, "I want to play piano," and my brother said, "I want to play drums." So she purchased a, a piano and a drum set, and. Naturally, he was having so much fun on the drums. I did start playing the drums a little bit at that point, and then she got mad and sold them both. And then we moved forward. She remarries to my stepfather, and um, I started playing drums, and my brother got a bass, and he started playing bass. So he and I kind of developed um, together um, musically. We just, you know, he would always say, you got to hit hard. You got to hit like a dude. You got to hit hard. So... I would, he, he was actually my first um, producer and musical director and, and making me into the drummer that, that I became. Uh, my brother is around. I haven't seen him in a while, but he, he is alive, I think. Was there any girls that you, girl drummers that you had ever seen before you started your career as a drummer? No. No, there were no drum. I can't think of any other girl drummers that I, I patterned myself, you know, behind, you know, and that, that, I know I'm just going to step forward. That probably was the reason why the con concept of climax came in my, into my head, because we didn't have many girl drummers and girl, you know, Patrice Russian later, but many uh, girl musicians that I, I used to, I would see. So in my mind, it was a new endeavor. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Patrice Russian because I mean, you're a California girl. Yeah, straight out of Compton. Mm -hmm. uh, it's crazy to me how much talent comes out of there and and Inglewood. I mean, most of it's hip hop related, um, but I mean, you know, such as NWA and and Dr. Dre and the Game and Kendrick Lamar. But you know, mm -hmm. outside of the rap universe, you have Patrice Russian, who was yes. from from that area. Uh, you know, actors like Kevin Costner. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that, but yes, Kevin Costner is actually was raised in Compton. That's not a I lie. Didn't that. I didn't know. Uh, that. Serena and Venus Williams, yep. Anthony Anderson, yourself. What is it about that area? Do you think that produces produces the legends that it does? Well, I, I think anywhere you go, and there's a large population of Black people slash African American, you're going to find talent. You know, and if you really look further into their lives, you'll find out that there, a lot of them uh, were, um, were um, brought up in the black church. 
So anywhere you're, anywhere you're centrally, you're located where there's a lot of African-Americans, you're going to find talent. We're just talented, rhythmic people. So Compton just happens to be one of those places where there's an influx of African-Americans. So you could say the same thing from Inglewood. You could say the same thing from, you know, Atlanta, places, you know, just where we are, music, you know, thrives. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Climax, which you formed Climax all by your lonesome back in 1979. And putting together an all-female funk band uh, at the time it included member. Well, I, I know that I think um, uh, Joyce came on a little bit later, but uh, Lorena Shelby on lead vocals, mm-hmm. Cheryl Cooley on guitar, uh, Robin Greider on keyboards, Lynn Mousby on keyboards. Uh, and then as I mentioned, Joyce uh, came a little bit later and you on mm-hmm. drums. And of course you were the voice of pretty much all the spoken parts of the recordings if I remember correctly, but explain your passion and motivation, you know, for putting together an all girl funk band and and how long had this idea been rattling around in your head you know um i would say like going to compton high school you know i joined the i joined the band and i was a member of the the, the band there and i learned and i got a, became i became very passionate about music so when i did leave compton which was in my 11th grade and my mom moved to inglewood Okay, and I went to my high. It right at that point, music was in a part of my life, and it, I, I felt that um, I really wanted to be involved in music somehow. And I thought, what would be great? Because I haven't seen many women musicians, even though they were out there. Um, and you know, my circle of the world, I had, I didn't see as many, but I'm sure they had um, many women that were performing. I thought. This it would be a great idea to put an all-girl band together because I'm really into uh, creating things that don't exist. You know, that's my my thing. I kind of I don't really like to follow anybody. And you know, there's a three-girl group, so I'm going to put together a three-girl group. I like to create things that are you know not exi- non-existent. So I thought it would be so great to put together an all-girl band, and I carried this idea starting from around the uh, 11th grade until I got into high school, until I got, I'm sorry, until I got into the um, 12th grade. And then um, it was really, really, I was really passionate about it. And that's when I started looking around. I said, you know, I'm going to put this girl, girl book to band together. So I began, you remember the yellow pages? Of course. Yes, okay. I do. Back actually. in the day. Right. <laughs> Hold on a was, second. <laughs> this is kind of funny that you say that. <laughs> yes. I literally yes, had the yellow when they didn't have the internet people. We had the yellow pages, a big book That's random. that they would throw on your lawn, right? Yeah. And, right. You, and you were able to they had the white pages and the yellow pages. The white pages you could find people. Right. Right? That's your Instagram. <laughs> right? <laughs> now in the yellow pages, <laughs> the yellow pages were strictly for businesses, you know. Mm-hmm. So I grabbed the yellow pages and I started looking at um, um, record companies. I said, because I didn't know what to do. I just had this idea in my head. So I started calling record companies. Hi, my name is Bernadette Cooper. I have a concept in mind about an all-girl band. Would you be interested? Uh, no, thank you. Click. Called another record company. You know, nope. Called another one. She said, you know what? I love that idea. Her name was Bonnie Thompson. And she said, I love that idea. She said, why don't you come down to the record company 
and uh, Marcel Records. And um, let's talk about it. So did I have a car at that time? I don't know if I had a car. I jumped on it, but no, I had a car. So I went down and I met her and um, we talked about it and we instantly became really cool friends. Really, she was really into it. And she actually became the financial backer for the concept for a long time. Wow. You know, so then I started putting, there's another another way of, another Instagram way which called the Recycler. Remember that? Yeah. Okay, okay the Recycler magazine was a paper that you can, you can place an ad for anything you're looking for. So I placed mm -hmm. an ad, you know, looking for girl, um, putting together an all-girl band, looking for instruments, guitar, bass, you know, let me know. So people would reply, and then I'd go meet them. And then we started rehearsing at Bollock Sound Studio, which is Ike Turner's studio. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm sure there's some story, stories there. Which is a story within itself, you know. I bet. <laughs> so that that's where it started to formulate the, you know the concept and it started to formulate right then so i went through a lot of girls you know kind of like you know you meet them and you go no this is not the look because i knew the look i had the vision in my head of how everybody should look how a vibe we should give it should be sexy it should be in the sexy was always in my head because my mother my mother was very sexy so I was all always around her, and I said, I want somebody with the vibe of my mother, somebody who, who loves to dress, somebody who likes to, you know, just um, have a great time. So there are somebody who can play, of course. So that's how it kind of formulated, and then it took off from there. Well, that's fantastic, and I. I know that you uh, you probably had some run-ins with with Ike, I'd imagine, because he was very very. I've heard stories of him being very, very heavy handed in the um, in the studio as far as, you know, he, he would appear to be hands off and then you would start recording. And then sometimes he would he would kind of, you know, all, you up, know, in the mix. all up in the mix and just really start pressing, you know, pressing his uh, uh, imprint on the music and also on lifestyles, too. I've heard him. I've heard stories of him forcing uh, forcing people to to do things. And I mean, well, that's, go ahead. Well, uh um, first of all, Bollock Sound Studio in, in the front was his, where he lived, I mean, I'm sorry, uh -huh. was his studio, all right? It was, a re, it was a, actually a recording studio. That's where he recorded everything. In the back, were, there were two rehearsal studios. We rehearsed in one of his rehearsal studios. Mm. So he would come in every once in a while. If you want to hear a story, you want to hear a story? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, all right. Absolutely. So he, he, he would come in. And I have a couple of them, but here's, here's, you know, I'll share them really fast. He would come in and kind of listen and stand there and listen and watch, you know, a couple of times he did it. The last time he did it, he, um, he had a bodyguard who I became very good friends with, you know, I can't remember his name. So let's just call him Mike, but he was a really cool guy. We used to talk, you know, all the time. This is very important. So Mike came to me, he says, uh, you know, uh, Ike wants to talk to you, right? I go, me? He says, yes. So I went up to the front where the recording studio was. It was all white inside, fabulous, right? All white, white couch, white, white shag carpet. Everything was white. It was beautiful. And so I sat down. He came out the room and he goes, you know, I really like you. You're the best one in the group, you know. You're the best musician. You have a lot of talent. I'm quoting him. And so I said, thank you. And then he brought out a, a bass pipe, right? 
Mm. You're familiar with a bass pipe, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I heard I'm about not it. Really, but that day I was. So, and then he goes, um, I want you to smoke this. And I said, No, I don't smoke. And he goes, um, No, I want you to smoke this. So I said, No, no, thank you. No, thank you, um, Mr. Turner. Right. So um uh, he says, I said smoke, and he tried to force it in my mouth. And then uh. Mike stepped in. And said, man, you know, she's a cool girl, man. She's not really into that, man. And he let me, he left me alone. Oh, and I man. left out of there scarred. Because <laughs> my life could have taken a completely different turn. Oh, yeah. You know? I, yeah. yeah. Oh, and then another time, another time, we couldn't, we couldn't afford to uh, pay him the rent for the studio. So he had locked all our equipment into, in, in the studio. So I had an MGB. When a little small MGB and my friend, she had a little um, uh, Fiat convertible tops, you know, you know. And mm -hmm. so we went over to the studio and waited till another group was rehearsing. And we told the guys, "Hey, could you get us help us with the equipment? You know, could you?" So all the guys helped put the put the stuff in the equipment, and we were driving down La Brea in Inglewood with all our equipment without paying Ike. And um, we were we hid out for like a week thinking that I was going to come after us, right? Yeah, I would thought that too. But, but, finally, but finally, when I called him and said, listen, what can we do? He, he, he laughed. He said, no problem. He thought it was funny. He thought it was gangster. And he just kind of let us go. So he had good things. He had good and bad qualities. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, he had his days. I mean, obviously, you know, Tina could have told you stories, I'm sure. Yeah, um, and, uh, unfortunately, that Tina thing. But he was very—he was definitely a, a, a genius creator. As mm -hmm. well. Oh yeah, yeah, right. he was—he was amazing, amazing yeah. songwriter for sure. Yeah. Can't take that away for sure. Exactly. So, let's go back to 1979, and even when you right. finally got your first album out there in 1981, you were still the first to do it even though your album didn't come out till your first album didn't come out till a couple of years later in 1981 still even in 1981 you were still one of the first to do it as far as an all an all-female funk band even though you guys really didn't have you were playing on the albums but we'll talk about that in a second mm -hmm. but on the title track of the debut album never underestimate the power of a woman yes the first line of that song is society is a mother funky music right. they say ain't meant for a woman yes were there external challenges that you obviously were you faced putting this band together? I mean, did you have like people or detractors that were telling you, "Hey, th this isn't a good good idea. You're, you're wasting your time." I know you had some people that were on your side when you were first putting it together, but as you're putting it together, you, do you have people going, "This, I, I, this just can't work"? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I had a lot of no's. You know, from a lot of famous people. You know, we would back then we had no fear, we had no pride. So we would show up at uh, studios, you know, uh, um, I think the Commodores were re rehearsing one time and we bust into the studio and try to give them a demo wow. tape and there would be a no. And, you know, went to the NAM convention. Back in the day, the NAM convention was actual people would be performing and major people would show up. Right. So I remember we went to the NAM convention wearing Climax T-shirts. Right. And John, we rented a limousine and and me and me and Bonnie, you know, we were really, really cool. And, um, you know, so we got a lot of no's. We got a no from um, with um, Maurice White. We got a, a lot of no's, you know, so it was a struggle. I don't think it was anything. 
I, I think it was just a normal route that artists go through when they're trying to become a star. You get a lot of no's before you get a yes. So right. it wasn't yeah. anything that was weighing heavy on our mind. It was just pretty much a lyric about how, how difficult it is to break into the music, a metaphor for how difficult it is to break into the music industry. And that was written coincidentally by me and Cheryl Coley. Right. Yeah. So were there specific funk bands from that time uh, that you really admired and that even served as an inspiration for the Climax Project? Yes, a, a Sly Stone, you know, Larry Graham, you mm -hmm. know, um, um, the Commodores. It, uh, it, there was many, many funk bands during that time. You know, Prince. I think Prince came a little later, but, but Prince was an inspiration because Prince, you know, Prince allowed you to be free. You, there was no more confines. You know, you you were you were free to create yeah. music. So no, all of those bands back in the day. Um, uh, there's so many of them. I, I, I'm trying to pull out some, but I, Sly Stone comes to to immediate mind that I like that funk kind of funk, you know. Yeah, and we were actually. I I, I see all you fine folks asking a lot of questions. If I have not posted your question, it's because of the fact that the question that you're asking I actually have in the lineup. So just stay tuned. We got. I will be. You're sharing some of those questions. I know we do have some questions about. Uh, you know, affiliations or associations with Prince. Well, you know, we'll, we'll talk about some of that. Okay. Uh, but one of the things that um, I, I, and I, and I have to ask this, uh, well, first off the name climax, yeah. uh, let, let, let's talk about that just for a second. That's a very bold decision to name your band. that. So, so <laughs> I, talk about your, yeah, I, I, we need to know the story behind the naming of the band. Clearly you got everyone's attention. Yeah. Oh. That's yeah. That's a um, amazing marketing well, there you go. Because right. in, in my head, it was always about marketing. You know, I, I was kind of one of those kids where I had nothing but time because I was such a loner, you know. So I would think about things. I said, I need a catchy name. I got to have something where people, when they hear it, you know. And I don't know. I'm trying to figure out where my head was during that time. Was I, you know, what was going on with me that I would even pull out a name, Climax, you know, I don't remember. But. I just remember thinking, um, uh, I think I was a little bit into pornography during that time, you know, no, as a young kid, you know, reading and, you know, you know, I hate to say it, but right I, I believe so, you know, and um, the climax was heavy on my mind, you know, well. <laughs> you know, I guess, you know, you so <laughs> I said, I need a name that's going <laughs> to I said, I need a name that's going to grab on to people, but I need to spell it differently, you know? So right. I came up with the name. I came up with the spelling, and that's how it came to be. Oh, that's amazing. If you hear a little <laughs> snoring in the background, that's my doggy, so. Oh, no, that's fine. We did. Yeah, all, right. <laughs> all right. So here's another thing I, ha I, I need to ask, too, because the, 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 the symbiotic nature of, of how things were kind of unraveling during that specific period of time, um, both Climax and Rick James group, Mary Jane girls both started in 1979. Um, but you know, they didn't release their album until 1983. So they had like four years of planning and doing whatever else. Uh, but were you aware of them or do you feel like they were aware of you and were trying to beat you to the punch with this idea? I mean, uh, I, I know, you know, part of the problem is that, you know, Mary Jane's album again, like I mentioned, didn't come out until 1983 and they had, 
really good success with that album, but mm -hmm. a good portion of that was Rick James putting his weight behind it. Right. Uh, but there's a second part to that where I personally feel like Climax came out and really kind of helped, I, I guess, in a way, till the soil for them. I mean, do, do you feel the same? And again, were you aware of, of them at the time? I was definitely aware of Rick James, you know, oh, yeah, and a of lover of Rick James. And I do believe that subconsciously that we opened the door for the thought pattern to come into a, a lot of people's head. He, oh, um, Dick Griffey has a girl band, you know, Climax. Oh, even though they don't have a hit record, why don't I form a, a, a you know, it's much easier to form a, a singing group. But I'm sure the, the fact that we were in, in existence existence really probably um made him think about putting together a girl group definitely yeah. So, yeah i mean did it did it annoy you in any way that they were able to gain so much popularity and radio play so fast considering all the work that you girls had, had put in at this point i mean 1983's meeting in the ladies room album was your breakout album but at that point mm -hmm. you had already had two releases under your belt yeah. Uh, then here comes the Mary Jane girls with their first album and they hit with all night long. I mean, did, did that make you feel some sort of way? No, I'm not a hater. Really? No, I didn't really No, It made us thrive harder, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, because you figure around that time you had one thing about the girls in climax. Okay. We were, we weren't haters. You know, we were kind of like, all we did was crack jokes, laugh. And it was very, very positive. Until that last album, which we'll get, we'll get to. But um, no, we never really felt that. We were really kind of cool. We wanted to go hang out. We wanted to be around them. You know, we didn't really feel that competition, competitive thing in our heart. Mm. Yeah, Susie asked a question. She said, did you ever get an opportunity to work with Rick James at all? No, but I met him when I was with a male friend and somebody introduced me to him and he blew smoke in their face. My friend's face. <laughs> <laughs> he was smoking a cigarette. He was like, "Oh, cigarette." He exhaled in my friend's face, so that's how I met Rick James. Oh, <laughs> and, you know, of course, uh, Tina Marie and I became really good friends. So yeah, we got some um, Tina Marie. She spoke of him sure. very fondly. So no, yeah, I imagine so. Yeah, they were very, very close. Yes. Uh, well, I yeah, there was um, well, I have some Tina Marie questions in the mix uh, a little bit later, but we we were um. I saw the, the documentary that was just released by Rick James and they had a huge section on Tina Marie on there. And yes. yes. Uh, and I, they, and I, did, I did used to hang out, you know, when I go over to Tina's house, I used to hang out with Rick James Jr. His son, you know, his son a lot because he was always over there, but that's pretty much it. I don't even think I've ever heard of Rick James Jr. As far yeah. as you know, once his father was gone, I don't. Right. Nice. Yeah. He, he wasn't, he's not into the music. Well, he wasn't at that time. I know he was. Oh. A, yeah, I think he was a tattoo artist. Like you almost have no choice to be if you're right. rich. Son. <laughs> I need to stay away because Rick James was so funky. Oh yeah, God. absolutely. But uh, as I mentioned, Climax did not get their traction until their the third album, Meeting in the Ladies mm -hmm. Room. And while deservedly so, those first two albums were fire. Now, mm -hmm. uh, again, I know that you, you know, there was some, um, a little bit, you guys didn't really get to play on those albums. And we'll talk about that in a second, but that opening track, um, that album, never underestimate the power of woman. There is no godly reason why the opening track all fired up. Didn't receive the credit that it deserved as a fun classic. I mean, we talked about that track. I mean, 
that those clav keyboards that are like very Stevie Wonder superstition, mm -hmm. like you mm -hmm. know that. I mean, the way that comes in and, and I, you play that through. Oh my! It's just it's it, huh. some of those songs are just so incredibly and just uh, just amazing. I mean, I mean, but again, you guys really didn't have a whole bunch of. Uh, of instrumental input even though you're listed as such on discogs and, and other you know websites and stuff like that but yeah did you really not have any input at all on those first two albums well first of all i'm kind of glad that the the, the albums didn't take off you know and now that i look back at it because it would have created a sound that we weren't really happy with you know so we kind of developed our sound over the time but no we didn't we you know did griffey why i am fond of I admire greatly you know and I thank his family once again for letting me see him uh, on his last days when he was in the hospital I was able to thank him for my career and that's that's the most beautiful part of one of, of my journey was to be able to thank him for my career um, but no during that time we weren't the best musicians yet you know, we were kids, we were in our 20s, I was 21, 20, 21, 22, you know, and this was before Joyce came in. And we were starving musicians and we were rehearsing every day. We didn't have a band leader or, well, an outside band leader. We knew what we knew. And by the time it came to, to um, going into the studio, working and recording in the studio is an art form. You know, yes, it is. Just, be just because you're a good musician doesn't mean that you can play in the studio. I actually hated playing drums in the studio because it was a timing thing. And I would rather go shopping, <laughs> you know, than to sit there and have to right. get every. So I had, you know, so in the beginning, we weren't really studio musicians. It was, you know, so the producers, any producer has the right to bring in any musicians that they want. Or they think you know so i think we went in with um we went in with a couple couple of producers who preferred their own musicians so we just sat back and watched and learned and listened that's pretty yeah i mean that. because for, for those who don't know it's not like you know the musicians that played on those first two albums or any slouches we're talking about you know stephen shockley and oh, Stone yeah. from, from lakeside i mean mm -hmm. right. um, and i know you girls were young and new in the industry but i mean your vision your vision as it as it originated was to create one of the first all funk female bands and with yes. the and with the boys from Lakeside at the helm it kind of temporarily derails your vision in a way it's kind of like your your vision is kind of put on hold but i mean from a public standpoint you know maybe people are perceiving it that way but um it, I, I just wish there probably would have been a little bit more that you girls would have been able to add to make this yours and align with your vision. And well, uh, well, I, I think, I don't think it put us on hold. I think we were in school, you know? So here we are a bunch of girls in the, now. Okay. First of all, we did have some talented musicians in the band. Oh yeah. Robin yeah. Grider was extremely talented. She yes. played every instrument. Lynn Mosby could play. Okay. Mm -hmm. I would, I was probably consider myself the weakest as far as uh, studio wise. I'm more of a performance drummer. You know, the antics and the facial expressions. And, you know, I don't want to really sit there and, you know, even though I could play. But and then came Joyce Irby later on. But the, Lynn Mosby, these girls can write now. They, I mean, they could play. So it wasn't that. It was just more of the um, producer's choice, number one. And we didn't take it as, oh, man, we can't play. Because we, we were there every day. 
even though they brought in Steve Shockley, they brought in the um, organ oh, brothers on guitar oh. and drums. I wanted Tommy, you know, I wanted them to play because the drums especially, because that took a lot of pressure off of me. So we didn't look at it as, wow, we can't play. We look at it in more of a learning experience. So we just went to the studio every day like we were playing, and we just laid around in the studio, watched and learned until our chance came up. It's like a basketball team, and, you know, you have the guys on the sideline. Right. Put me on, coach. I'm ready. Right. right. So by the time we were put on, we were ready. So we didn't look at it like that. Yeah. So, I mean, were you actively rehearsing as a band during this time, just kind of waiting for, you know, yes. maybe we play? Yeah, we would, yes. We would re rehearse, and then... um and then um, I fired a couple of the original members of the group. And then that's when Joyce Irby came in. That's mm. when Dick, you know, Dick Griffey's like, did you, you, you fired uh, the bass player. I really liked the bass player, but there were issues with that. And I said, I explained the issues. So he's like, what are you going to, what are we going to do now? You know, you know, we got to, you know, find a good bass player. So, um, he said, you know, I remember this girl, I guess she used to, she was in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and whenever he would go to town or wherever, she would visit him. I'm not quite sure how they hooked up, but he would give her, she gave him a tape of her playing the bass. This is what I think, you know. And so he immediately thought about her. He says, I know this girl, she used to call me and, you know, um, she gave me a tape and, you know, I'm going to bring her into town. And you let me know what you what you think of her. So that's how she came into play. You know, and and just to briefly talk about that <clears throat> that second album, Girls Will Be Girls. That mm -hmm. title track is is a banger, obviously. Yeah. And a heartbreaker is such a strong track track, yeah. along oh, with um, yeah. <clears throat> uh, the song "If You Love Me." W what are your favorite tracks from that album? And then we'll move away from the second album and kind of talk a little um, bit. Mm, you have to remind me what's on that album. Oh, um, this. I mean. It probably was Heartbreaker, because no, Heartbreaker yeah. was one of you know a, a song that I wrote. So um, you know I you know I was this girl who um who had a four track was it a four track you know those little four track recorders. Yep. Yeah. When that's a cassette tape. I worked, no, this was, it was a was it a cassette? No, it was a record. Was it a record? I can't. Remember. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it it had like tape. a cassette tape, but if you took that cassette tape out and you put it in a uh, a regular player, it would like play all slow. There you go. <laughs> and, and, I, and I had I had my Casio. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I had the drums. <laughs> yeah. And I had the drums on that Casio. <laughs> you know. And I would. My mother didn't really want me to be involved in music because you know I had to leave college in order to pursue my dreams. So. My family was not happy about it, so I had to go into the bathroom at night when I, when she was asleep, and um, I wrote music and I would write things on my Casio, and I learned how to work that Casio. I would mm. take a four track, you know, and turn it into a sixteen track. You know, yes. I know how to overdub it, and you, you know. Yep. So, um, you had to bounce tracks over you to, to bounce one the track like. down. <laughs> to two, you bounce it down to two, then you got two more tracks, right? Yes. So I, more <laughs> I, have, I have many cassettes back here that were made that way. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so Heartbreaker was something that I wrote in the bathroom. Did um, I believe that Jimmy and Terry were they were involved in this particular? Um, and they they loved my writing. 
they love they were like what did you write today you know bring your stuff in let me hear what you what you wrote whatever and then they would go heartbreaker oh yeah so they would take a lot of things that i wrote and they would uh, produce it so heartbreaker i think was was heartbreak is really funky oh yeah that's a great track that's yeah a strong yeah. track yeah i Absolutely. like heartbreaker yeah so as a reminder i'm gonna i'm gonna throw this out there um just just to throw it out there uh, girls will be girls, wild girls, convince me, the man in my life, all turned out. I mean, these, these were wild, like, wild girls, wild girls. Okay. Um, uh, and turned all turned out. So you have to understand by this time, we were being released from our shackles. Okay. Yes. And I must say, I must say by Jimmy and Terry, right? because we were with these other producers who wouldn't allow us to do have any input. And then comes Jimmy and Terry, who observed our wild and crazy and us running around. And they kind of put our energy onto tape and let us be involved. So Wild Girls was like, you know, that was us in the studio being crazy, being fun, developing our style. And um, um, and all turned out was definitely the other one that was really, that was a Jimmy and Terry song um, that was really funky. Did I write All Turned Out? I don't know if I did or not. But <laughs> but it was, you know, we they were the ones who started us on creating our, our true sound. And that's why I said I'm glad the first album really didn't take off because yeah. it would have been a more of a manufactured sound. From Jimmy Terry and Terry on, the sound became more genuine and unique and it became our sound because we began to start creating it and putting more of our influences and our, and our thoughts. And, you know, we weren't the type of girls who, you know, wanted to, um, we, we were very independent and we wanted to show that, uh, that women can be funky and women can be independent and still be feminine. So we wanted to put that in, on record opposed to, um, a lot of things the other guys wanted us to sing and write it and talk about. Yeah. So, you know, that second album, actually, for those of you just joining us on the radio station, you're like, Oh, what's happening here? Uh, we are interviewing the one and only Bernadette Cooper, founder of a climax and Madame X. Uh, we've been talking about climax and some of their early albums and we're kind of getting into getting into the meat of things now. And uh, it's, it's I, once again, it's an absolute honor to have you on board. Thank you. Um, and the second album, uh, Girls Will Be Girls, actually creates a couple of connections with the Prince world, um, who at this point, as far as Prince is concerned, in 1982, had already dropped Dirty Mind. He'd already mm -hmm. dropped Controversy. Uh, and now here in, in 1982, uh, which is the same year this album was released, he'd already released 1999. So people in the funk world now have him in their purview for sure. And now you do too, as as you mentioned, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis are doing some production work on that second album. Mm -hmm. And I know you kind of alluded to it a little bit as far as you know what it was like working with them and kind of them letting you, uh, you know, kind of do your own thing. Was that verbalized? Were they just kind of like, yeah, hey, just just step back, don't you know, don't worry about you know what was or you know what happened with the, you know, everything that was going on. Was that was that verbalized to you? Just just cut loose was did they tell you to do that they they were very vocal i mean they they were just real cool you know and they just would you know what do you guys want to do how would you say it you know they were fresh they were new they really wanted to make a name for themselves in fact 
we were in the studio when Prince called and fired them because they weren't supposed to be doing doing um, things on the side, producing acts on the side. And apparently they had snuck to um, snuck into uh, Los Angeles and we, we're, they were in the studio with us and Prince called, he found out. Robin Grider, I think, um, picked up the phone and uh, passed it to, uh, to Jimmy uh, and, oh, it was a Terry, one of them. And he came back in the room and he said, we just got fired. You know, Prince fired them. So at yeah. that point they were like, you know, but they, no, they were very, they were just very open to our ideas. They wanted us. They didn't want to create anything for us that wasn't us. They, they were constantly asking us, how would you say it? How would you do it? You know, how would you perform it? And um, they, and they gave us a chance at actually playing, you know, if you could play it, you could play it. If you couldn't, you couldn't. So, you know, we started developing our musical chops in the studio with them. Mm. Because no. you know, we had all learned all these things. We were able to put it to use with Jimmy and Terry. Now, uh, uh, there's a fan here, Elisa Joseph, who asks a question. Is this the same Lynn in Climax that works with Sheila E? No. No, okay. this is Lynn Malkin. I think Lynn with Sheila E is her manager. Yeah, so Lynn Malsby is the only white girl in the group. Look, yeah. at, the, look at the picture. And that's Lynn Malsby, who right. is an incredible pianist. Oh yes, she's amazing. Yeah, she's yeah, incredible. She's, yeah, yeah I, and and I during the VH1 special that they did, which we'll talk about here in just a second, uh, she was very obviously, uh, she was probably the second most annoyed of the whole situation. <laughs> you know what? You know what? <laughs> we'll talk about you, you know, you know what? Recently, we've had a chance to really talk about a lot of things, and a lot of it is misconceptions. Really, mm -hmm. you know, and when you talk about it years later, oh. You know, we should have talked about that 40 years ago. You know, right. like we right. were really a cool group. We just, you know, problems started to happen, but we yeah. really didn't have any major problems other than, yeah. you know, and I, and I voice this because it's true is um, when I started to get more attention, it was really kind of messed up because, you know, you know, we, we'll talk about that later because I'm sure you'll get to that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we, I'm going to make a note to talk about that because I, I know there was some, some questions about, you know, how you have somebody that's technically drummer kind of in, in the back a little bit. I mean, you're doing yeah. something that I could talk about, you know, how is all this tension being diverted to you? Well, right? you know, people, when it's, when everybody, when there's so many other people that are kind of on the front line. Well, I, I became, I, be, I was a drummer, but then I stopped drumming and I came up front. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, Quite a bit. You know, and, I, and I do believe that the drug, you know, listen. I think you define, and not to interrupt you, I mean, I think you kind of defined, you really brought out, you took the sexiness. You had this vision for, I mean, you named the band Climax, but you, yes. had, this, you had this vision for a, the and sexiness of the band. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Uh, you had this vision for the sexiness of it. And I think there was some sexiness there, but I don't think it was really out front until you were out front until you just said, no, let, let, let me, let me show you what I'm, what I'm thinking. Well, well, it was my, it was my original vision. You exactly. know? And um, one thing I, I do, I am, you know, blessed with in my journey is 
the, the, the ability to see around corners, you know? So my vision is very, very, very strong. And I act on um, my vision a lot. So I visualize everything and then, then I create it. So visual, I visually saw Climax as that type of group, you know, a very sexy, um, well, not so much sexy, not the kind of sexy where, you know, um, identity six sexy. But the kind of sexy where we were alluring and um, um, we like to dress because I was always been into fashion. I love clothes. Clothes, right. that's art to me. So if you if you look at all the album covers, most of these clothes are mine. I used to bring all my clothes. I still do. When I go to rehearsal, I bring clothes, you know, because I shop all the time. So um, I just wanted the group to have an impact where we were. Because what we're doing is a very, you know, you know, it's a very... It wouldn't be considered as a feminine thing to play drums and to play bass to to most people, you know. So I wanted to give out the to show that girls can be funky and and also very tender and sexy at the same time. All of this. So that was my vision. So when I came out front, I was able to portray that. Yeah, I, I think maybe the, not I, the tender part, but right. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But you got it. Got I got yeah. yeah. So there's another connection to Prince that you you may not even be aware of, and that is through the photographer that was on that album shoot for the Ooh. second album, Randy St. Nicholas. Saint Nick yes, yes. So, um, a lot of and for those Prince fans out there, you probably a lot of people didn't even know who Randy was until she was the photographer for this massive book for Prince's 21 Nights, where mm -hmm. he was in London, and she was the primary photographer on this shoot, mm -hmm. um, and were you um she did lots of photography in the funk world and in, in, including this book but other others as well do you remember randy at that point yeah yes she, or she was just part of the machine at that time i was extremely captivated by her because she was very very talented right and um i just remember her you know we didn't we you know we we didn't have many photographers and things like that in the beginning it was kind of like we were everything was thrown together but during this time we started getting hits and Randy came in and she, she was just very, very much on top of her game, you know? So, and she really had an idea of the look and she created, she helped us to develop the look and we got the right um, um, choreographers for the project, the right uh, um, stylist for the project. She made sure that everything was on point. So I remember her. In fact, my friend, Patrick, he just signed, he, he signed that particular Prince book to uh, HarperCollins, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. I think it was Harper Collins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look. It's an amazing yeah. book. I mean, the photography yeah. is unbelievable. It's yes, it's amazing. So that that begs the question, of course. Simon um, Schuster, actually, have you had any personal communication? If you had any personal communication with Prince, because he was always, you know, building his enterprises and frequently reached out to artists that were aligned with his vision. So did you ever cross paths with him? Yes, you know, I well, I crossed paths in, in, the, in the past life and, and currently, I'll tell you why. In the past life, some one of his, on my on my um, solo album, Drama According to Bernadette Cooper, he had one of, his, one of his people call me, and it's been so long, so I'm sorry if I don't remember a lot of names, you know, I'm sorry. always moving forward, I forget. So, oh, yeah. But he had one of his people call me and um, got along. Prince wants you to know that he loves your record and he really loves, um, what's the song that he loves? Uh, oh my God. 
name the songs on my album. Um, uh, 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 it'll come to me in a minute. One of my songs he really loved was uh, uh, I'm that I Look girl. Good. I'm That Girl. Okay. I'm That Girl. I'm That Girl. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I can see him. I can see him liking that. I could also see yeah. him like in um, uh, let's be discreet. Yes. Uh, yeah, I could. See, yeah. Yeah, but, but I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I guess he didn't want to sit there and name off all the songs. Sure, know? no. <laughs> he, he liked the entire project, but that was his favorite. And in the current life right now is Cassandra O'Neill, who was Prince's um uh, um she worked with Prince is now yep. my musical director. Wow, really? Yeah, she's on the road with me. She's she's my um MD. Wow. So she's that's bringing awesome. a, she's bringing a lot of that knowledge into the band. She's no joke. So it's making me step up my game. So so fast forwarding, I mean we're we're talking about this here at the end, but I mean, we're not here at the end, but talk about this at the end. So when you guys with Climax featuring Bernadette Cooper, when you go on the road in 2022, Cassandra O'Neill is going to be at the helm for this that tour yes i you know i've been on the road as bernadette cooper but i'm you know i'm constantly elevating the concept and i'm kind of you know i get bored so we're creating a whole new vibe and yeah she'll be with me she was yeah she's been she's been in there we did the last show with her she'll be a part of it and she's no joke no she's not (laughs) she absolutely is not so it's making all the musicians you know She's she's driving them. So the band is really serious. The band is serious, you know, and I had to break away from a lot of things, you know, um, you know, things being on track. And she's like, no, we're not doing tracks. Why are we here? We're doing tracks, quote unquote, you know, so everything is extremely live. You know, there's some things that I still use, like for the menopause, I use the drum because it's, the drum sound is so that Lynn drum sound is what yeah. everybody is accustomed to hearing. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, you know, I do use tracks on something, but mainly everything we're performing and it's, it's, it's shaping up to be a really exciting show. Okay. So, um, you know, so I'm really excited to talk about that because I really want to know some of the, the places. I, I think you had a couple of fans that were in here going, are you going to play in Atlanta? Are you going to play here? Are you going to play there? But yes, if, if you have specific, you are going to be in Atlanta. Um, I have some things happening. You know, I've done a, I have my well, just I'll, just I'll let us know information at the end. Je, yeah, Jeff and I. If if you're if you're trying to land some places in Atlanta, just just reach out to us. You know how to reach us. We'll okay. we, we'll, we'll help that process. All right. Um. So let's talk about your biggest album, Meeting mm-hmm. in the Ladies Room. Okay. If they didn't know who you gals were before, they they right. certainly know it now. Um. The first hit was the opening album track, Men All Pause, which is obviously. Again, again, Bernadette Cooper's amazing marketing work and her uh, innuendos. Uh, well, actually, actually, I have to give props to Joyce Irby first, okay? okay. Because she, um, she's the one who, um, uh, even though we have our differences, you know, Joyce has always given me props on my writing ability and my creativity as far as my vision is concerned. And uh, she would always come to me and, you know, and I have this, I have this, I have. So she walked into the studio one day, all right, where, you know, probably Jimmy and Terry, not, was Jimmy and Terry in the room? No, maybe at that time it wasn't. But she walked into the studio, we were recording over, you know, in Los Angeles. And, um, you know, this particular studio had a lot of little rooms, so the girls would kind of group up and do things. Well, we were always in the studio, even if somebody else was 
playing our instruments. We were in the studio. So mm -hmm. uh, Joyce came in. I have this track. I got this track. I think you can do something to it. So I was in one of the little rooms with my four track. So I still had, well, I, I, I think I had eight tracks by this time. So I, <laughs> I leveled up. I had eight tracks. So she brought me the track and uh, the menopause. And I laid on the floor and I wrote the song. The men are pause, you know. So um, after I finished it and I, you know, I, you know, bounced everything down and got the background vocals and I did all the parts, I gave it back to her and she said, this is a hit. I go, oh, okay. You know, yeah. by this time we Certified. were a little jaded. We were a little bit like, it's never going to happen. I'm going to have to get a you know, job at CVS or whatever was happening. So um, she took it to Dick Griffey. And he listened, he goes, what is this? I'm gonna talk like Dick, cause I love him. He goes, what is this? And she's like, this is a song that, that we wrote, Bernadette named it, The Menopause. He goes, Menopause? I ain't doing no song called The Menopause. And she goes, no, The Men All Pause. So he listened to it for a while. And then he says, okay, this is a hit. So he got us in the studio with Steve Shockley. Mm. And we created this. We created this amazing track. It's a great one. And, and, yeah, and, and speaking you, of choice too. I, go ahead. I'm sorry. Let me just say this: we at this point we were jaded, and we thought that we had to go back to school. We thought that it's never going to happen because I think we're what two or three albums in by this time, and mm -hmm. we just didn't know, you know. But Mr. Griffey, he believed in us, and he would not drop us, you know. So. Yeah. Um, I remember when we were all together and we first heard it was a hit. It was amazing because this was during the time when usually back in the day, it still happens, but not as back in the day during like Christmas time, the industry would shut down. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we dropped the menopause right around probably around November or something like that. So we had all of December, maybe we could have dropped it earlier, but when January came and everybody went back to work, we were notified. We heard the record on the radio and we were notified by the record companies, you guys got a hit record. <laughs> yeah, that's how that happened. And that was the beginning of it all. Man. So um, I, got, I got a question um, from the song, from in the meeting in the ladies room. And I, I believe it's uh, coming out at the second chorus. You guys, you guys dropped this. I'll be your freakazoid. Uh -huh. So I gotta ask about that. So because it's obviously Midnight Star, one of Midnight Star's biggest hits. Yeah. So was this conscious decision to latch on to a successful song, thinking you know your marketing idea, or was it actually more of a shout out, like for personal reasons, a shout out to friends? Well. We didn't write Meeting in the Ladies' Room. Reggie, Reggie Calloway and Vincent Calloway wrote Meeting in the Ladies' Room, who, who were part of, um, they were, they were the creators of Midnight Star. So, okay. um, yeah, coming out of there, that was coming off of their biggest hit, right? Right, right. Yeah, so I guess they added a little bit into this song. And then, of course, I went in, Lil Silas took it, you know, when they wrote it, and... Um, he took me into the studio to to do the remix, and that's when I added the intro and a lot of I wrote a lot of Joyce's parts for her, for her to to um to follow, and um you know we just added what we 
Lorena added her powerful voice, which mm. was that sound of climax with Lorena's powerful voice, lungs. You know, we call her lungs because she's so powerful. So we had a we had you had Lorena, you had Bernadette, and then you had Joyce Irby on that song. But the Callaway brothers wrote that. It's just such an unusual. It's such an unusual decision because I mean, it's not Midnight Star, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the fact that that was, you know, I'll be your freak. freak. Was, it was just put in there, and mm -hmm. it's it's kind of like, are you guys somehow connected? Is and that and so? Yeah, it it is a valid question, and because it's like it's, it's kind of unusual that. Yeah, you know, because on the same note, it puts that song in the person's head, which exactly obviously is only going to help Midnight Star. Well, you know, we were we were label mates. We, we were label mates, and you know that's marketing. Yeah. That's marketing. Oh, yeah. I guess they were the same. Well, it, it is. That's the purple cow. You know, uh, right? The yeah. the uh, uh, fan Anne, uh, who's a huge Funkatopian, uh, she did ask a question. You were just talking about Joyce. Does uh, does Bernadette still have a good relationship with Joyce? You know, we are, um, we're distant, you know, um, we're distant. And I think it's just matters of opinion, you know, I, I you know, we're not fighting mad, you know, but we, we have our issues, you know, but you can't yeah, she really, things really differently too. She's, huh? she's, she, she's, a, wasn't she, she was in the service, wasn't she? So she was very, yeah, she has a, she has a very, you know, um, yeah, we're, we're yeah, she's yeah. very stoic. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. You know, and I'm really, you know, creative and fun loving and, you know, um, you know, um, but, you know, listen, this is no different than any other band. You know, if everybody wants to kind of, oh, Climax, what, you know, oh, they're doing this and they're doing so. every band, Simon and Garfunkel, every band, the Beatles, every band has their issues. You yeah, know, yeah, of course. Creativity. And a lot of it is not meant to be together forever, ever, ever. Right. You know, so listen, I can't take anything away from anybody and I have really nothing negative to say anybody. We're not as close as we used to be, but um, I am in touch with um, a few of the other girls all the time. Here's another interesting question. Uh, I, I see you start this one, Jeff. This is actually interesting. Uh, Daryl Jones says, can you talk about what happened with the Maserati 2 album, which was supposed to be being produced by you? Mm-hmm. Is that I remember Motown released two singles, Woman Thing, Woman Thing, and another song, but the album was shelved. Yes. Yeah. I was even aware of that. Jeff, were you aware of this? Wasn't. That's why I'm like, hey, I need. Yeah, I miss it. And Mark's a friend of mine, so I don't even know. Yes, I saw Mark. you know, I did my job. You know, okay. Motown. I think it was through Prince, if I'm not mistaken. I don't want to say that, but they were a Prince band. You know, and mm -hmm. uh, Motown, yeah. Motown contacted me. Hold on for uh, yeah. Motown contacted me, and um, let's see, doing it. Hold on for a second. Motown, again. Hold on. Yeah, no. Well, I, I know that with Mot you know. Motown contacted me and wanted me to write and produce them. So I did my job, mm -hmm. and then they um, they had to do their marketing. I don't know what happened after that. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I know that Mark had a lot of issues going back and forth. Where it wasn't really uh, Prince had always been trying to take Maserati from uh, from Mark, and Mark uh, Maserati was always Mark's band, and uh -huh. um, and Prince did get them to release their first album on on Paisley Park, but uh, 
right. Mark was like, I, I just, I need a different marketing scheme. We need, we need to do something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. Anyways, uh, good question there. I did that. Was, I yeah, totally got caught up on that. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, so the, the production of this album is vastly different. What are some of the distinct differences that you remember of the way that this album was being produced, the way that this album was kind of being crafted. There certainly had to be some kind of different energy because you can, uh, it almost seems like you you guys just kind of let your guards down. You're just like, let's just make some music. Right. Well, once again, we were at this point, we just thought, you know, sometimes, you know, wonderful things come out of not having an expectation. Okay. And we didn't have any expectations at this point. We really didn't. We didn't think we were going to be stars any longer. We didn't think, you know, we had been disappointed mm-hmm. by the first two projects that we just didn't think it was going to happen. So we mm-hmm. were kind of like depend, wondering what we were going to do, you know, in the next phase of our lives. And um, um, so when it did hit, it was beautiful because we didn't expect it. And I try to use that pattern in my life to even today. I really don't have much you know any expectation for a lot of things the music i put out if it happens it happens if the universe accepts it great if it doesn't happen fabulous so at this particular time that's what happened uh okay so again you you had i miss you as as one of the great slow songs at that during that time so my question is how did it feel to with all the funk and all that stuff you guys were doing, how did it feel to have a slow jam on the charts? That song was fabulous. This album was the combination of... Still makes me want to cry. Yeah. <laughs> but, but listen, there's a story behind this. There's a story. Um, yes. Okay, I don't want to say any names. Okay, so... Do it! This, no, this, this album... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say it. Linton's going to kill me. But anyway, this particular album was, it was magic, right? It was right. magic. You had the menopause, meeting in the ladies' room. You had a lot of great songs on this album. This this album shaped our career, okay? Um, I mean, we're still talking about it years later, you know. But I miss you. Lynn Mosby was going through a relationship with... Um, um, uh, I'm going to say it because it's years ago and it doesn't matter, but she was dating Steve Shockley from Lakeside. Mm. All right, then. Right. Please don't, okay. please don't. No, I'm not. I'm not. Please don't call me Steve. If it's a problem, we'll beep it. I, we'll beep it in the recording. But I have to make this interview interesting. <laughs> I have to put you out there. So Steve, Lynn, Lynn was dating Steve Shockley. And they were going in and out of their relationship, and Lynn was heartbroken. All right. Um, and so, in the middle of the night, Lynn went to her piano and she wrote, I miss you. Wow. All right? So, follow me. But her and Steve Shocker were still friends, you know. So, anyway, mm-hmm. um, she brought the song into the studio, and Lorena was supposed to come sing, I miss you. But she didn't show up or something didn't happen. I'm not quite sure what, what happened. But um, um, Joyce sang I Miss You. And that's one, this is, this particular song is the one of the only songs, one, I won't say the only. I will say the, the, the song that comes to my mind where every member of Climax played an instrument. I played the drums on this. Uh, uh, 
We had Joyce played bass, we guitar, everybody played the, the instruments. And Joyce's instrument was her vocals on this particular track. So this is a true climax song. All right. Timeless climax. Yes. This song yes. I still I still get emotional with this song. Yes. Every time I hear this song, I, I you, know, you know, and I, I told you this, Jeff, before, and you may be the same way, Bernadette. It's like, you know, sometimes people ask me about time, you know, time frames. Like, where were you during this year? I was like, I have no idea. What was on the radio? Uh-huh. And and sometimes if I play a song, I know exactly where I was, exactly what I was doing, exactly who I was seeing when that song was on the radio. And the second that I start playing, I miss you. I know I can tell you exactly where I was. I was up in New York and New Jersey area. I, I, it's like, it's like seeing your life just kind of unfold. It's such an iconic historic song. It's, it's, and it's, it was so different from anything you guys had done too. And it was like oh. really a weird standout well, track on this album. Well, what you, what you have is you got pure climax on this album. That's yeah. what you got. You got right. all those years of not being. No pun intended. All yes. <laughs> You know, uh, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. Okay, I remember now how I just came up with it. I just remembered how I came up with that. But, Got you. Um, the point of excitement with with no return is, the, you know, the point of no return is how I came up with the the name climax. I remember now. Uh, but it, no, really, that's what I was thinking. So, um, you have you have all the years of going to the climax school with with Steve Shockley, with with um, Jimmy and Terry, with um, um, every every instrument, every musician, every producer that we ever dealt with. We finally went to school and we graduated on this particular album because mm. we had so much input on this album. And then the great Lewis Silas, you know, he was right. our mentor. He came in and he kind of guided us. And helped us create it and pushed us. Oh, Bernadette, no, you gotta talk. You gotta, you gotta do what you do. You know. So, yeah, yeah. I miss you. Hey, I knew it was a hit when I got on the elevator, uh, and, and and I would hear it on music. I, I was like, oh my god, you know. And, and Lynn was like, boy, she was loaded, man. She wrote that all by herself. It was like, dang, oh, you know. Yeah, she did. She did very well with that. That was our biggest hit. So wow. I know that in I know that the band released uh, uh, an album in in 1986. I, I don't know what happened with that particular album, that self-titled climax album that came out in 1986. It seemed it seemed like it got a lot of traction. At, you talk um, about the one sexy? It didn't get any traction. Yeah, Disney Love Two, all of that. Yeah, I don't, know, like, that was that was set to be bigger than this album. Fufu, wake up! It's my doggy. Um, <laughs> Having um, a dream. Yeah, he's snoring. Um, <laughs> um, I just don't want you to think it's me. Right. You know, but we know that album was going to be huge because you, you know, we went from we went from Solar Records to Constellation Records, and we were now at MCA, and they were going to put everything behind this record. But then we had some things that were happening in the background, and I just could not, I just could not, I just didn't want to be in the band anymore because of um of a lot of things that were going on. And then I moved on, you know, mm. I won't ever say I quit because Climax, I can't quit anything that I created, but I moved on to, because I couldn't be in the best. So a lot of things got stifled. Yeah. Um, this album got stifled because of that. Mm. Because the, the person that everybody was accustomed to seeing was no longer there, mm. which was the reason why 
I was no longer there. You got it? Yeah. Makes sense. Well, it, it makes sense because, you know, and that kind of goes back to what you were saying before, how you kind of ended up being the face of the band, even yeah, though the, I, the band I, is the band, but it's still yeah, kind of, you know, and it, it, it becomes, you know, listen, if you're, if you're, you know, you, you got, you got, can this, this just put Joyce out of the equation for a second. You have Bernadette Cooper, Lynn Malsby, Robin Grider, Lorena Hardiman at that time, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, and myself, I hope I got everybody. We built this house. I mean, you know, of course I created it and I had the formula and I had it, but these, it's your coolie. And, but we were the girls who star, we were starving musicians. We were actually literally putting our pennies together to um, pay for rehearsals. We were literally mm-hmm. going to Bob's Big Boy, eating and running out because we had no money to pay. You I'm know, a, are there any big I boys would, still I would, around? I yeah, no, I don't. I don't think so. If it is, it's somewhere rural, somewhere <laughs> one little small Bob's big boy. <laughs> it took me back again. Desert, she know? takes me back again. <laughs> yes, and I was you know kissing the kissing the owner of the building to get free studio time. We were doing whatever we needed to do as starving musicians uh, to make this group you know successful. So we built this house. You know, together, you know, and even though my antics and because it was my vision. So, of course, I was going to be more pronounced. I I don't know, you know, but, you know, so you have this group and, you know, you you built this house together and then Joy steps in and she's a part of, you know, uh, putting another level on the house, you know, became a bigger concept. So um, and then, you know, everybody focuses on one girl, you know. Right. That, that causes problems. Mm. And women sometimes don't know how to say, I got a problem with this. I got a problem with you being, you know, and then me, I was hogging it up. I was having a good time. I was being a kid. I never did anything intentional. Like I'm a purposely, that's not my character. And I'm sure you can talk to the girls about that. But I was having a good time. We were young. Yeah. You know, right. we were crazy. We had money and all of this stuff. So um, that caused a lot of women, people... People don't just say, hey, I want you to, I want to talk to you about something. Uh, I'm jealous. You know, people won't do that. (laughs) So they'll act out in other ways. You know, and I won't say it's all, you know, the girls fault. We had our issues. I had Mm -hmm. my issues. They had their issues. And we just couldn't, we were immature. We couldn't, we couldn't come together on the problems that we had, you know, so. That's pretty much it. There wasn't anything where nobody beat anybody up or not. You know, it wasn't anything major. If you really look back at it, you right. know, it was just little stuff that made us, you know, you know. Well, and, and I won't say, you know, a lot of times there's there's not a lot that that um, <clears throat> comes out of situations like that. A lot of good that comes out of situations like that. But mm-hmm. I will say something did something good did come out of that <laughs> and that is yeah. in the form of one of Metal my all time uh, favorite albums from the 80s madam x I, yes you know, i had a friend and uh he's a good friend of mine still a good friend of mine to this day uh, uh billy starnes and he is um he is um one of these kind of guys he would always borrow albums from me and mm-hmm. and and he would he would get him back and I would I would get him back and there wouldn't be a whole bunch of, you know, he would say ah, whatever. I let him borrow Madame X one time and uh-huh. he brought it back like three days later. And he was like, that album is 
fire. <laughs> yes. And I didn't expect it from him because he's kind of a little bit of a country boy type of, you know, thing. I was like, he was like, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So I have to give you props for easily one of my favorite albums of the eighties, Mad Max. And, and, I, and at the time, I had no idea that it was your project or that it was related to Climax. I, I wasn't one of those album readers where, you know, I kind of paid attention to who produced this and who was on this. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, at the time you had, um, you had uh, Iris Parker, you know, Valerie Victoria, yes. uh, Lisa Randolph. Uh, yes. She passed away in like 2005. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. Um, so <laughs> I had no idea project and I, I i the first time i heard this album i sat slack jawed especially when because what sold me was i had heard on the radio just that type of girl yeah and i was like yeah I, I don't even know what the rest of this album sounds like but i'm going <laughs> to the record store right freaking now and i'm getting this and that's what you kind of had to do back in those days right you didn't you didn't have spotify i'm gonna check this out no you just had to go and buy and just like oh god i hope this album doesn't suck ass but i i'm just i'm hoping Yes, and, and you, I bought this album in every single track. I mean, flirt. I mean, it, it easily. I have. I literally have this album in every single format: cassette tape, CD, vinyl. Um, but anyways, it, it was just absolute fire. And I, I need to know what was happening around the time that you put that album together. I mean, it was almost had the same vibe as Climax, but it was more, more. Uh, raw and i guess this, the second part of this question is you know where did you find those members was it easier to find them find this lineup than it was searching for the climax original lineup i mean i i just need to know what was going on with the creation of this album because this is this is the classic funk album to me of the 80s i i this is what if i have to list my i i, I hate to keep on going on and on about like this but this is one of the reasons this album right here is one of the primary reasons why I've been bothering the hell out of you for the past. <laughs> how long I've been trying to get, get you on the show. I don't know. I just, I know it's, I it's been a long ass Twitter time. And yeah, <laughs> it's been a I, long time, but I said, I, I have to, I have to get the woman that is behind this masterpiece. Cause if I have to list my, some of my 10 favorite funk albums, th- this is probably going to be in the mix. Well, so, you know, you know, you know, me leaving Climax was, I was creatively exploding, you know, at this point, because one thing about being in a, in a band and, 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 you know, is when you're, especially when you're creative is every, every, everything is done by committee. And, um, you know, I was, I was kind of locked into a box where, and everybody was, you know, trying to get their songs in and everybody had become writers and everybody had become producers and all of this. And, I was a little creatively frustrated because uh, I knew that I wanted to do, uh, there was another side of me that wanted to do a completely different type of music. Because, you know, Climax music is a certain kind of music and Dick Griffey helped to formulate that. Like, he, yeah. he, he didn't want us to do certain songs. Like, for instance, I have to just say this, uh, um, Nasty Girls by Vanity Sick, was, that was brought to us first, right? Hmm. To do. Not aware. And he would not allow that. And his reasoning was, you know, 40 years from now, nobody wants to see you up on stage talking about I'm a nasty girl. Right? And he was <laughs> correct in that market. I hear you, I hear you giggling. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but it's the truth. And that marketing was genius because it's the, it's very much the truth. But I knew it was a side of me who did want to that's not a climax thing. Okay. Okay. Climax is a clean, fun, positive, fabulous group. I wanted to do something else that was a little funkier, a little different kind of a vibe. So when I left Climax, 
um, um, Sylvia Rohn heard about it. Sylvia Rohn, she was at Atlantic Records. She heard that I had left Climax uh, through through uh, my uh, manager at the time, Ron Sweeney. And mm -hmm. um, he said, Sylvia wants to meet with you. Sylvia flew out to Los Angeles, and I told her about a concept that I had in my head. Same thing, like Climax. I wanted to put together a three-girl group and make them really funky and, you know, do some really great music on them. And she uh, bought into the concept. You know, and and actually signed the deal without me even having the girls. So the pressure was on me at that particular time, right? Mm. Now I have to find the girls because now yeah. I have this contract sitting here, um, and I have this money in the bank, and I have to create this and start, you know, uh, producing this group. And um, so I first found Iris because I shop a lot. I just I'm 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 an addict. I'm surely trying to find a place where I can go for thirty days, but. I um I, I shop a lot and Iris was one of the sales girls at a store that I used to frequent and she finally one day gave me her demo tape. Right? So when she gave me a demo tape, I listened to it, I go, because I always saw Madame X as three girls equal one. You know, every each girl had their individual thing that they do that makes the group one. But a lot of people this is, you know, I have I'll get to that, but a lot of people don't see it that way, and everybody wants to be a lead vocalist. It's not fun being a lead vocalist. I don't know why, but people think that. So I found Iris first, and I loved her vocal. It was something I could work with. Then one day at rehearsal, um, I, was, I was getting ready to, I was rehearsing for, no, I was in the studio, and Iris was there. And she said, uh, I think I found a second member from you. It was, she was across the street at the chicken joint getting some food. And it was Valerie Victoria. <laughs> and she came in and I said, wow, she had an amazing look. Okay. So I said, let me hear you. We, she, you know, got into that. I was in the studio. So I put her on my very unique voice, something I could work with, mm -hmm. you know? So I said, great. I said, okay, but I got to find this third girl. So I held an audition for the third girl and I found Alicia Randolph. So mm -hmm. that's how the girls came together. Then it was a matter we immediately had to go into the studio because I had this deal already in place and I had to, you know, present this album to Sylvia. So that's how we got together and I got them in the studio and we started working it out. I mean, I'm just looking at the names that, that's, that you have listed even in the thank yous. It's like a who's who. Oh, right. listen, I, I just, Jerry I mean, Brown. Jerry Brown is major. He's uh, he's he's my engineer to this day. He's done everybody from okay. You dropped a bomb on me until recently. John Legend's yep. new album that yep, just yeah. John Legend's new album. Who you coincidentally co coincidentally he mixed it in my studio. I have a studio, mm -hmm. and so Jerry Brown mixed it in my studio. That's the John Legend album that just won a Grammy. I've done a lot of projects actually, actually here. But Jerry Brown, he's really, really good with getting, you know, if I say I need a really good keyboard player or whatever, he knows all the major names. So he was bringing in all kinds of people. Mm. Wow. I just, you know, one name that I, I saw a couple of times uh, when I was trying to do some research, I, and, and uh, I've seen her name multiple times, but uh, I have never heard you mention her, Dina Andrews. Oh, yes. Um, 
Dina Andrews, we know her. She used to work, I believe, at Solar Records. And then she started managing Jimmy and Terry. That's how I know Jim, Dina. Yeah, she, I mean, she was, she worked with Jesse Johnson and the variety. She was like all over the place. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I sat at a table with her uh, during a, a Jesse show. Um, it, it, this is amazing to me. Some of the people that, you know, all the people that you've crossed paths with is just, it's, 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 I think what's more shocking to me is your involvement with all these people that, that cross pollinate with, uh, with Prince that you guys were never in the same room together or, or have never done work together. It's just, that's, that's just shocking to me because you guys are so right up his alley. It's like, if you were to guess, you know, take a guess, it'd be like, I don't, it, it's just so similar in some of the sounds and everything else, but well, well, anyway. Prince gave me Prince. Prince blessed me with free with freedom. So, you know, yeah. once after listening to Prince, it changes your life. It changed everybody's life. Look at men with beating their faces. Right. Then, you know, everybody, <laughs> everybody <laughs> was affected by. Yeah. Everybody was affected by Prince. You know, and yeah. I was affected creatively in in a good way, where I felt like I had no boundaries. You know. I yeah. really felt like I, I remember Sylvia telling me one day, because, you know, he used to write for you. He would write a four and then he'd write a you. She was like, please don't send me another title that looks like Prince. You know, he was affecting me in so many ways, you know, but yeah. really he gave me freedom as a creative yeah. person. Because you have to understand I've been locked down for so long in Climax. Not a negative thing, but, you know, I, there, were, there, was, I, there was still more for me to do in my journey. You know, so getting Madam X, I was free to kind of like do whatever I want to. She gave me money. Sylvia gave me money and let me do whatever I wanted to do. Well, I got to so, tell you, if you had never released another album, just just this one, I, I you I still would have been your biggest fan. I mean, thank just, you very much. I appreciate that. I appreciate <laughs> you for being so knowledgeable. Oh, it's just, I mean, you're you're literally a, a hero of both Jeff and I. I mean, Absolutely. we've. We we actually, if you go back, I think that was the Twitter that you, the tweet that you saw from many, many months ago. Yeah, I happened to uh, stumble on it because I don't go into my messages often. You know? We were we were doing a show many, many months ago on the women of funk, and it was like the top twenty women of funk, and and you were in there. It was like the name of the show, and I, she didn't even respond to like many, many months later. She goes, "I got to be better at responding on this stuff." Right, I do. I really do. <laughs> I says, you know, because I look at and you know, I have all these people. I love you, and here I am from. 19 from 2020 2018. <laughs> I'm like, I love you too. You yeah. know, it's like, okay. yeah, I, I, I had to say, I was, we were, Jeff and I were talking about this. We had the same exact thing. I, because I don't do Twitter that much either. And I, I came back a, a couple years into the into the messages when Wendy and Lisa had sent me a text message, just, hey, we got a new album. Can we come on your show? Oh, wow. And I didn't see it till like a couple years later. I was like, uh, yeah, you can come on the show. Wow. <laughs> you got to know that um, when he was reaching out to you and hadn't heard from you, he was curled up in the fetal position. Oh, my God. <laughs> he, was, he was hurt. No, like no. You, Let's you talk about. Was, you thought I was dissing you, huh? No, no. I, I, I know you're very, very busy. I also saw the the, the frequency of which you, you kind of post. So yeah. you, you, you you were like kind of like I am. You're just not really a huge social You know what it is? Fan. No, it's you know, it's, like, it's the beast. It's the nature of the you, beast, though. You know what it is? You got Twitter, then facebook came and then, and then, and then we got instagram and then, you know so i have to connect all of them together because twitter is kind of like you know 
I'm going to get something to eat. There's not much you can really say on, you know, I'm at exactly. the store now. You know, yeah, here's, it's like here's I a picture of my store. burrito. And right. I just finished eating again. Yeah, I just finished eating. <laughs> you know, you know, you can't really say too much. So it's just so many. I have so many websites and so many Instagrams wow. that sometimes I forget about Twitter, but I'm getting on there more often these days. So let's talk about a, a piece of drama for a second. And I don't know if okay. this is drama to you or not. Um, well, let's go. But, let's go. Uh, there was a release in 1990 by Climax called The Max is Back. Mm-hmm. You were nowhere to be found on that album. Right. Jam, Terry Lewis did some production work on that album. So that probably, I don't know if that stung you a little bit. Cheryl is back. Uh, Lorena is back. Um, no, if you go into that album, there's a couple songs on there that has Bernadette Cooper's name on it. And also on Joyce's album, Bernadette Cooper's name is on it. So it's well, kind who of... Does the, who does the rap on the uh, on the title track of that album? Don't know. Okay. I've never, because, I've actually uh, so, never so, heard so here's, the album. Here's the rap. Well, I'm not going to rap it. I'm just going to read it. <laughs> I'm not gonna... No, we <laughs> want you to rap it. Okay. Uh, I know it's been a very long time, but the Max is here to take the strain off your mind. I know you're wondering what's up with that, and that's why we had to come back. We took a rest to clear our business so that you would know that we are serious. Here's a word to all of our friends that the true climax will never end. Okay. See, I would never write that. Oh, yeah. I, 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 that doesn't sound like you at all. Right. But obviously you you said you hadn't heard that so no i never i've never listened to it consi- considering that considering that you just heard that it kind of almost seems like a little bit of a side disc as well yeah. kind of a little possibly, bit possibly everybody's in their feelings well but... where are you during this period of time you, you did say that i think there was one song you know you mentioned it. i think there was one song that was like smack in the middle of the album or something that you were you were on but you just weren't involved in this what was, was the reasoning for that well, this is when, you know, this was, this happened. Um, right, the same year as Joel album. First of all, during this time, uh, during this time, I was producing uh, Madame X and, and also Bernadette Cooper drama, according to Bernadette Cooper. So I didn't, wasn't really focusing on, but this is after I, I left the band and, um, yeah. and um, uh, then Joyce left or, you know, for yeah, whatever, I wasn't there. Like, I don't yeah. know the what happened with that but Joyce was no longer with the group and then um so they were the only remaining and I guess MCA says you know we got to make our money back somehow so we're going to move forward with this climax concept and hopefully this will work you know and I think they got a, a semi hit on one song um but I, I'm not quite too sure I, I, I don't think out at that time I don't think they did yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. No yeah. diss. I just I don't I don't remember it. Yeah. And I really had I really honestly I never listened to the album. Yeah. Right. Uh it's that 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 could be a positive thing. I don't know. Yeah. But that same year, nineteen ninety, you mm-hmm. you mentioned just mentioned you dropped your solo album, Drama According to Bernadette Cooper. And uh-huh. I'm technically these are all your albums, but but that was an incredible release. And you had a you had a bunch of guests on that album, including uh John Patitucci on bass. Uh, yes, you can do uh tina marie was on that title track uh, uh yep alisa was on uh from uh, you see you keep 
Alisa, A L I S A, but you, you twice you said her name, you said Alicia. Am I pronouncing it incorrectly? Um, no, it, maybe I could have said it wrong. There's so many okay. Alisa's and Alisa. Alisa from Adam X. Alisa Randolph, track. yes. Yeah, from, from, uh, from Contributed to the Track. Todd Harriman did some production work. And for those of you who don't know who Todd Harriman is, uh, he actually is the one who did, he was the assistant engineer on Prince's Sign of the Times. Yes. And, and what was the other thing was was about it too was that he um on and he didn't get credit on that which is kind of weird mm-hmm. uh it was and lenny kravitz is also on this album as well for you yes. on, uh, let's yeah. be discreet but what was interesting mm-hmm. he's also uncredited as well and it's also weird because lenny kravitz was on uh prince's song dolphin he actually mm-hmm. sings on the song dolphin and he's uncredited there he must like to do uncredited stuff yeah he asked me not to credit him he said he was doing um you know, I don't know what reason, but he said he didn't want credit because he was in the process of doing his album, I think, at Virgin Records. I think he was signed with Virgin, and he asked not to be credited on the album. That but probably you know, was what happened with Dolphin, because that... I, I, don't, I, I, I don't remember I don't exactly what happened. I'm not quite too sure, but it could have been maybe we forgot. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'd have to but, ask Jerry. But there's so it. many notable people are involved in this album. I mean, did you have to call in a bunch of favors for this, for this album? This seems like um, you just like broke open that black book and just started dialing. These people don't do work on favors. I had to pay them, <laughs> but you know, it was all worth it. I would definitely over. Budget. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was, I was definitely over budget on this project, you know, but um. Yeah, I just, you know, once again, Jerry Brown, he only works with the best. So, you know, he just had, he has a notebook full of the, the, the fiercest people possible. So you know, if, if it wasn't a name I could come up with, I would say, hey, I need a percussion. Is he the, let's use Polina DaCosta on this. Okay, great. You know, and we use the waters. They did a lot of background stuff. Oh, my God. It's just, it, it's, I mean, it's just such a phenomenal album. I mean, you're, I mean, I'm just trying to, I guess a lot of people ask this is like why this album was so criminally overlooked. It's not that it was overlooked because for those of us that know, we all love that album. Um, It's fantastic, but it was, it was definitely overlooked. I mean, okay. You know, know, I remember that time I was very, very frustrated because I, you know, I put out this album. Nobody really knew what to do with it. Because it doesn't really sound like an R&B album. Then they moved me from R&B to um, um, another kind of, which kind of music did they, um, they they kind of wanted to move me around. They didn't know what to do with me. They didn't know what to do with the kind of music. And also, we were in in the middle of the climax era, era being over and bands kind of being over, period, because we were going into hip hop. We were going into Belle, Biv, and Duvall. You know, we were going into, everybody was focused on Bobby yeah. Brown and all of this yeah. stuff. And my stuff was sold to the left. The Motown that, Philly sound. Mm-hmm. The Motown Philly sound. Yeah. 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 So things got, it got lost somewhere. I don't know. I don't really know. I just deliver the product. And then I hope that people understand the vision. I but a lot of great, ahead of its time. But the fact that people still remember it, you know, is, you know, it's a beautiful thing. I'm not bitter or tripped out about it. You know, it's just, a, it's part of the journey and it kind of led me to the next thing and it's all good. Um, going back to Tina Marie, 
Mm-hmm. I know we're kind of we're kind of going back a little bit, but tell me about your relationship with Tina Marie. I mean, when you first when you first met her, what it was like working with her. I mean, because she seems like such a down to earth, just kind of just chill level person. And I know a lot of people, um, you know, what, what's it like working with Tina? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, first of all, our friendship was first. You know, she we did a show at the Roxy Climax did. And uh, she came up to me. Someone came up and said, Tina Marie wants to meet you. So I'm going to say what she said because I don't want people to think that, you know, my vanity is on overload. But she came to me and she says, we went out to her limo and I got into the limo. She introduced herself. She says, I really like you. I think you're the best music. You know, you're the much the more exciting musician. That's what she says on there. I really like you more than anybody. Well, Okay. I said, well, thank you. You know, and then she's like, you know, we smoked a joint in the back of the, of the limousine and we just talked, (laughs) we talked and exchanged numbers and we became really good pals, you know, and she would come over and hang out with me, you know, and I would go over to her house, a beautiful house in Pasadena and hang out with her and we would do trips together. We were just really good friends who shared music and the love of music and um you know she shared a lot of personal things with me it was a really beautiful friendship you know and i admired a lot of things about her fashion sensibility and her her she was just the sweetest person you've ever wanted to meet you know so um back in those days they're not you know right now i try to reach out to musicians and or either uh singers or uh, people who maybe or from the 80s and i say hey let's collaborate and do something they want to check right which is i but i always look at things in the in the visionary point of view that if we get together and we do this then we could tour and make more money than the amount of money that i can give you for this project today right 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 okay they don't, but a lot of people don't get that but tina marie was like she called me up and she says uh hey i'm in the studio I'm working on this track. Can you come by? I want to put your voice in it. No problem. Jump yeah. in my Mercedes drop top. And I headed over there with the phone, the old school phone, the big one. <laughs> and my, when my phone bill was like $100 a month. And my, my accountant was like, what are you talking about? I'm having arguments on my my phone. It was, it was so expensive, but I had one. And I would be on my way over there, and I would do what she asked me to do. And then she would reciprocate. Hey, come on over to the studio. I have a song. Okay, I'm on my way. So she would drop in her, you know, she would come in her old school, 1965, you know, uh, um, um, whatever car she had. And she would come through and uh, old school car she had. And she would come through and she would do her vocals. And there was no issues. It was Mm. like, cool, here's your credit. Here's my credit. Let's move forward. And that's how we pretty much did things. Yeah, Elisa said Tina was good about that. Lenny Kravitz, another beneficiary of her kindness and musicianship. Absolutely. We've had many conversations about that. She, um, you know, she gave him a, you know, a place to stay. She nurtured him. She pretty, she pretty much nurtured his, his career. She nurtured him. She loved him. Mm. You know, and, and it, it, I don't know if he would have had the success. I mean, you know, he's very talented. I'm not taking that away. But the the nurturing part of it. Came from came from Tina Marie. Yeah, I think I saw out. some some posts that you were, I guess you were you were in the in a moment you were you were kind of a little listen, upset with Lenny. Listen, 
when I saw that, I was like, who was coming after me, right? Yeah, a long time ago. You know, okay, okay, let me clear that up because this is great. Okay, um, Tina and I shared a lot of things, you know, and, um, 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 you know, some things I would never, ever reveal. But one of the things she would say to me is, you know, you know, one thing that Tina really wanted, she really wanted Papa Pill, right? She mm -hmm. had the R&B world really loving her, but she really wanted that number one pop record, right? Which she, which she was hoping to get. And she thought that, you know, maybe going out on tour with Lenny would give her that appeal, right? Yeah. So, okay, that's it. That's all I'm going to say about that. But she loved Lenny. She didn't say anything negative. She was just kind of, we were smoking a joint again and talking. Shit, it could have been real. Maybe it wasn't real, but... That got that weed was saying it was real. Okay. <laughs> right. So, exactly. yeah. so and it normally tells the truth. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, you know, and so we we um right? That's my doggy. So finally, um the day Tina the day Tina passed away, um, which was horrible. Okay. Huh, it was brutal. Um, a reporter hit me up and says, Would you like to say some things about Tina Marie? And I said, of course, and I said what I said. And they said, well, Lin yeah, because Lenny Kravitz just came out and he said that he nurtured her and blah, blah. And I said, well, you know, you know, I was caught up in my feelings a little bit, but it wasn't negative. It would just been nice if she, she was able to do some things. I was kind of going back to the conversation that she and I had years ago, right? And it would be nice if she was able to, you know, he would be able to help her a little bit and, you know, in achieving some things she would have achieved. Something like that, I said. And somebody pulled that out the blue and tried yeah. to make it a negative thing. <laughs> the, the title was Climax Singer Bernadette Cooper Slammed Lenny Kravitz right? for, for <laughs> Abandoning Friend Tina Marie is oh my God. the title. <laughs> oh, and if you go back and you read the original, which is online, uh, you'll see. Uh, it was a fly-by-night thing. No feelings put uh, involved. And I probably was going off uh, of a conversation that she and I once had, you know, and right. I kind of mentioned it, but I, I love me some Lenny Kravitz. So oh, yeah. I, I reached out to him and I said, I love you. Yeah. The guy. You oh slammed him. <laughs> slammed oh Lenny Kravitz for understanding oh, Tina Marie. Oh, those words <laughs> never came out of my mouth. You know, I said, somebody's okay, they're coming for me. They're coming for me. Oh my you know, God. Never uh, happened. Susan asked, do you still keep in touch with her daughter? Mm. No, I don't. You know, um, uh, Tina and I, we, we kind of, for no reason, we just kind of went our separate ways as, um, and our friendship kind of dissolved somewhere. I couldn't even tell you. Nothing happened. But I just don't really remember. But I went left and she went right. And we yeah. didn't keep in touch as much, you know. But I was around when she was, con when her daughter was conceived. I was in her, in her, um, in her cipher. When that uh, during that time, so I remember her daughter being, you know, being born, but I, I was never a part of her daughter's life. No, uh, who right. is the coolest person you've ever smoked a joint with? Uh, <laughs> uh, I would imagine Tina's in that list. Well, well, yeah, she's she's up there. She's, but I don't top, want to give you an easy answer. She's the top five, <laughs> but uh, okay, let me say this. The coolest person that I've been around where I was smoking a joint, but they were smoking something else was George Clinton. Oh. 
<laughs> there it is. Okay, there it is. Okay. Let me, I mean, let me tell you a quick story I, on that. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, Jeff knows I got stories about George too. Yeah, but George, George, you know, he, you know, I wasn't the main, the way I met George was I was in the studio working on Sexy. Right. right? Yeah. And he would, he was in the other studio room, you know, was it Larrabee? Well, it was some studio where I was in one room and he was in the other room. So he would come in and pop his head in. And one day he goes, can I come in and sit down? And he would, yeah, I would be like, yeah, sure, no problem. So he came in, sat down, was, you know, listen to sexy, sexy, funky. And then he, the next day he came back, did the same thing. Third day, he said, um, I would like to write something on this. And I'm like, sure. You know. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I'd be honored. Right. So he wrote the first verse of sexy. Mm. Make it good to the home winner. That's that's George Clinton. Yeah. Right. So after we did that together, he became quite fond fond of me, you know, in a very gentlemanly way. He he never was disrespectful, but whenever he would come into town, he would say, Bernadette, I'm at such and such a hotel. Come down and hang out with me. Right. So I would go hang out with him in, in his room. And he would um come and wake up. He's snoring. Um, I would go down and he would he would be in his room and I'd be on the couch, he'd be in a chair, and he's he'd be doing whatever he does, and I would be smoking my joint, and we'd be having these great conversations about music, wonderful conversations about music. So he always called me, and one time he calls me. Okay, and he goes, I'm at I'm at uh, Sunset Sound Studios. And Sunset Sound Studios um, has a room that's upstairs. So, you know, I'm really, really silly. I'm still silly to this day. I'm just like to crack jokes. I'm silly. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I'm just, just, you know, you know. So yeah. <laughs> I went to see him and I went to the door and I bam, 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 bam. They go, who is? I go, police. And they pushed all of their drugs. And he never called me again. <laughs> Oh no! Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he never called me again after that. And he goes, "Put it in. Why'd you do that?" And I'm like, "I don't know." You know? <laughs> oh goes, no, oh, man, that wasn't cool, man. That wasn't cool. Oh well, my my quick story was that I I was actually invited to come and shoot the to actually do photography work for the show, and uh, I got backstage after the concert, and it was uh, me. And sitting next to me is George Clinton, and it's all of Parliament Funkadelic in this single wide trailer, and everybody's smoking. I mean, there's like four or five joints going around. And I'm not smoking because I have a recorder in my pocket, and I'm wanting to do an interview with him. And I'm like, I, I'm like running the, the questions in my head. I'm like, I'm, I need to, I'm going to ask him this, I'm going to ask him about this, and I'm kind of going down the list. And the whole time I'm getting high, high, high. I'm just like, the yes. Side, the secondary is like the whole, <laughs> this, this, trailer is like this thing i just finally about three o'clock in the morning i, I come to the because george and i are talking the whole time you know off and on because mm -hmm. he's got people coming up and and i'm just i just made it i finally realized this interview is just not going to happen so at three o'clock in the morning I, I lean over into george's ear and i go george man uh, i i think i'm just gonna i'm gonna leave and he just really quietly leans over to my ear and he goes pussy
Oh yes, that sounds like him. That sounds like him. <laughs> and I just laughed, and I was just like, "All right, so you know, he's, he's, time, he's so maybe we'll do an interview at some point." <laughs> he's clean and sober now. It's amazing. Yes, well, you know, yeah, is, well. I don't know how long that's been going on because I've still seen some shows where he's uh, lighting up on stage still. So oh, I mean, really? I, don't know okay. if, I don't know if weed is really considered clean because it's um, not. It's one of those, you, you know, it's you, not, you, you it's not with the hardcore drugs. You never know. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's, this it is, is a very interesting entertainment business that we're in. A lot of things <laughs> have happened. I've been through a lot. I've done a lot. So I don't really judge anyone. Right, right. So I would, I would feel horrible if I didn't bring this up and and back up a little bit to the Tina Marie stuff, and mention Rick James. So I really want to know: Did you did you ever work with uh, meet Rick James or have the possibility to work with him at any point? Because again, there was a time where him being behind the Mary Jane girls while you guys were doing your thing was there like some sort of still competition feeling? No, was- I never felt a competition, and you don't work with Rick James. Rick James is Rick James. He he doesn't need anybody. If somebody wanted to work with me, I would be like, no, you know, because no one wants their creative expression to be uh, trampled on. So he was an individual and a creator. Like Prince would never, you know, you know, when mm-hmm. you have these certain people yeah. who are really focused, who are genuine, creative people, they don't really bring in a lot of outside people. So, number one, I never felt competition. I'm not a competitive person. I don't feel that thing where I got I have to compete. I know that I'm good at what I do, so I don't have that thing. And I have my own lane. So when you have your own lane and not trying to do every, the same thing as everybody else, you, there's no competition. So no, I, I never had the chance to work with him. I met him on the one occasion, and that was it. Okay. Mm-hmm. When he blew smoke in my friend's face. Yeah. <laughs> cigarette smoke. Let's yeah, see. cigarette smoke. You <laughs> know, it, it could have been a joint. I don't know if it was joint. I don't remember. It was just we were. I was so in awe that it was Rick. I don't even know what he was smoking, but we really <laughs> enjoyed the smoke. Being, you know, that was all good. good. So you've done a lot of production with groups like Shalimar, Paul Abdul, I mean, mm-hmm. Cheryl Lynn, just a bunch of others. I mean, what is some of your production work that you're that I mean, you've worked with so many people. But what's some of the production work you're the most proud of where you said, yes, that that can't I mean, it may be all of them for all I know. But that you said, yes, that's that came out exactly how I envisioned it. Well, the Madame X stuff and in, in, in my thing. Um, that was amazing, because, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I had 100% control. And even though I go in and I produce and write a lot of stuff um, with artists, you still have to include their their um, ideas in it. And, you know, I really love the way Bette Midler did. I, I miss you on her show. Uh, she, opens, she opens her show with I Look Good, Bette mm-hmm. Midler does. She yep. did her own version. I really like that, and I'm really proud of that. Um um, and um, I'm trying to think. <laughs> Done so much. Um, I, I love it all. All of it is part of you know. You hear me say this often, but I do believe it's all a part of me going from phase one to phase two to phase three, and it's a beautiful journey, you know. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I've just always anytime that you know now when I start. I read labels a lot more now, but when, you know, whenever I see your name, I'm like, oh, whatever that is, I got to hear it. So it's it's just, you know, you know, the movie stuff, I really love doing soundtracks for movies. I did um, did, the two Wong Fu, you know, 
you know, you remember Tu Wong Fu? No. Two, yeah. Uh, um, West, With, uh, Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, right. Yeah, I did the opening track for that. Me, me oh, I did not know that. Me and Salt and Pepper. You know, mm. where, I, where they, where I wrote it, and then they came and the, the, they wanted to bring in um, Salt and Pepper on the track, which was uh, not the best experience. But um, uh, they're yeah. quite different now. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's when Herb Lovebug was. Is that his name? He was Herbie Lovebug. Yeah, and he was really upset that they weren't using one of his songs, so he just made the whole process difficult. Yeah. You know, and then when you know they wanted to do it on their own, so I sent them the track. They did it, but it was half done, so I had to go in at the last minute and move things around. It was just a, it was a nightmare, but I made it work. Yeah, well, you know, so many people, and I've I've already seen this question come up like five times in in the list. And and again, I'm not I'm not ignoring you folks. All you fine folks are asking some of these questions, but as I said, if I if, if a question's coming up. Uh, that I already have on the list. Uh, that's the reason why I'm not posting it. But I've seen this question come up four or five times. And that mm-hmm. is that many people have called you a female, pretty much a female version of Morris Day. Yeah. yeah. Matter of yeah. fact, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis even gave, and correct me if I'm wrong, they even gave you the nickname of Bernadette. Yes, they did. They <laughs> so did. And both of you have that ego swag and and actually the whole time thing. And he started out as a drummer too, as uh, uh, Brian Davis, I think, mentioned too. I think it was Brian. But both of you had that ego swag and, and I, I can completely see it. But um, <clears throat> so we can talk that, talk about that a little bit. But the the most important question is that I have heard that there is a rumor that you are going to be working with Morris Day on something coming up soon or coming and, up in the near future. Or we're not, 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 it's not locked in, locked in, but there's something that you're planning or wanting to plan. Let me answer the first question. Okay. okay. Just by coincidence, Morris Day and I and our characters were very alike. So, I would come into the studio with vanity on my left and right shoulders. You know, I know I'm looking good. You know, I would be walking in my whole energy reminded um, Jimmy and Terry of Morris. And, we, you know, we kind of favor away. We're both Capricorns. And I just recently found out because I saw on his post that he's a Capricorn. But, you know, um, our thing is very, very similar. So, um, um, you know, I, I kind of bought into that. You know, I yeah. was like, oh, okay. You know, so when he did um, Gigolos Need Love, I came back and did Divas Need Love too, you know? So I'm like, okay. Oh, a little bit of an answer. Yes, it was a little bit of an answer that I don't know nice. how many people caught up to that. And as far as us doing music together, um, I can't say. You guys talking at all? I can't say. You can't say but you're talking. I, okay, let me say, let me say this. Let me okay. say this. Um, uh, how can I say this? Anything is possible. Mm. What about that? Okay. Okay. Can you accept that. I, I, I'll accept, accept that. Accept that and keep your fingers crossed. And toes. And toes. Okay. And and if anything does come of it, that that Jeff and I are the first to know. That that's yes. one thing that. Okay. Hey, we can read or, or one of the first to know. Yes. But um, there, there, there are some things that are there that are out there. Okay. All right. We'll take that. I'll accept that. Take that. Yeah. Uh, 
a couple more drama pieces because I know I want to I don't want to hold you like till the end of time here. But mm -hmm. <clears throat> many people don't know this, but pretty much all of Climax's music was destroyed in the yeah. 2008 Universal Studios fire. Yeah. Um, and that was a, a devastating fire that took out a lot of recordings, including all the chess recordings, which is that that in its that right there. If if the chess recordings had been the only thing in there, that would have been an her insane, horrendous loss because we're talking yes. about Howling oh. Wolf and Muddy Waters and all the blues. Yeah, and they, they tried to keep it quiet. Yeah. The craziest thing about the fire, right, is that the Universal kept lying to the artists and kept kept a secret about all the music that was destroyed. Mm -hmm. How were you informed that Climax's music was involved in that? In, in my in my in my uh, uh, drama, according to Bernadette Cooper album was destroyed as well. OK, <laughs> how, how, were, how, were um, you told? how did they break the news to you? They didn't break the news to me. I read about it. Oh, I read about it. And oh. then I oh, read about no. it and then, um, you know, they had a list of the artists and I went down the list and I, and I saw Climax's name and I saw my name and, um, you know, and, you know, just mo actually most recently I've been thinking about uh, re-recording some of those things. So out of all those songs on that particular album, on your, at your leisure, send, send the songs that you think that I should redo. Hmm. Uh, it, what this album wasn't in there, was it? No, that album wasn't in there. Okay, that's good. Okay. <laughs> that's all you care about. That no, no, it's not all I care about. What no, it's about not all me? I care about. What but about this is this important as hell. I and the drama album that's important too. All the yeah. drama album needs to be redone. Yeah. No, no, I just don't, I guess I don't understand being because I mean obviously when you record it you've got the masters that are there but it just seems like in, in this digital age that there's always some kind of backup of a backup. But you know what? You know what? You know what? You know what? I have a lot of masters. And I actually went in your possession. In my possession, because what I would do back in okay, I don't even know if I should say this. I don't care. Back <laughs> in the day, I would make double copies and take a copy home with me. Okay, I got a. I have there a lot go. of stuff, and I do have some of the Madame X stuff. I do. I have to. I have to see what I have, and you know, of course, they need to be. What is that baked or whatever? Because they're right. the original two track tapes but i do have a lot of stuff i have some climax i have climax stuff original masters wow yeah i do have it i have definitely have sexy i have i have i have to, i have some things i have to go see what i have they're just i just got to go through that and kind of any, figure it all out any madame x lost tracks in that mix madame x definitely i definitely have some madame x stuff some some unreleased madame stuff. yes yes i do all right, you know, don't make me do, don't make me do something. You know, I let me let me. You just got my winds, my 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 uh, wheels turning. So, yeah. All right, all right. So I know a lot of people want to talk about some drama. So let's just go ahead okay. and just get this get this out of the way. Let's go. Can you fill people in who may or may not know about the intense situation that occurred between Climax and Cheryl Cooley? Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to be honest about this because it's already out there. Number one, right. It's I know not to dog out Cheryl Cooley, you know, but, 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 you know, it, it's kind of like, it's not what you do. It's how you do it, you know? And, um, uh, the earlier part of it was that, um, you know, Cheryl Cooley started touring under climax, which, you know, 
she felt that she was entitled to do. But, you know, um, there's a level of quality that we were concerned about, you know. So I think we asked her to stop and she wouldn't do it and, you know, very blatantly would not do it. Okay, and Cheryl Cooley has done a lot of things, you know, for Cheryl Cooley and not thinking about anybody else, you know, which I'm sure we might, we all might be guilty of at some point. Hey, but the, the, the latest thing is that, um, uh, two things. Okay. Well, number one, somehow Cheryl Cooley went on to the ASCAP, um, um, uh, credits, you know, the publishing and, uh, writer's credits. She got mm-hmm. into the database and changed all of the uh, the credits to benefit herself. <laughs> okay, oh. not only of climax songs, but of many other, um, you know, of meeting in the ladies' room, which wasn't written by you know a lot, well, a lot of artists who who have been notified, and she has been notified by Sony and ASCAP because they found the breach. Okay, and they discussed it with her. I don't know how that went down, but um, um, she she did this to benefit herself. Now, in in doing this to benefit herself, don't know why she did it, you know. But in doing this to benefit herself, she also then all of a sudden, out the blue, we get, we get a notification from Billboard that we were going to be inducted into the Hall of Writers Songwriters Fame or whatever the name of it is called, right? so we were like oh my god great great we finally all came together all of us all the girls in climate except you know Cheryl Cooley because you know we kind of have her on the outs because it's just so much extra drama you know unnecessary drama unnecessary just every day it's some drama you know so um um so come to find out, I'm not quite sure. I'm almost 80% sure that the person who was doing this is a friend of hers. Only person who's going to be inducted into this Hall of Fame was Cheryl Cooley, who's not a writer. Oh. Okay, not Climax, you know, but Cheryl <sighs> Cooley. So we reached out to the people. We explained to them that, no, you know, if any of the writers, it would be me, Rob, Lynn, uh, Lorena. I mean, not even Lorena so much. She didn't write much, but you know, we were all should have been a part of knowing they never reached out to us or anything. Come to find out it was Cheryl Cooley who was friends with this individual and she was awarded this award. I don't know if it was based on the false information that was given, that was put on to ASCAP or whatever, but the fact that it was on such a big on billboard, you know, they they allowed us to come back and um and and, expre- and explain what happened and if you, that can be found if you look at climaxbillboard.com or where billboard.com climax you can read up about it yeah i think jeff actually has has the screen capture of that that particular uh I, it's it's a i think it may be the photo after this but yeah there it is right there yeah yeah and it's kind of like yeah, you know, so yeah, all these people that are listed on here, all these people that th- are going to be then they got a picture of climax, but it's not. It was it's very misleading. It's it's fraud, pretty much. And mm-hmm. so we tried to discuss it with them, but they were like, you know, you know, we don't want to hear it, you know. And then you know, send us proof. I'm like, <laughs> wow. Okay. So anyway, yeah, you geez. know, Cheryl happily went up. We could not understand how can a person happily go up and accept a songwriting award and you didn't write anything. 
Right. So whatever happened with this, did, did this event happen and she actually did that? She went up and accepted the award? She went up and accepted an award and Heartbreaker, you know, Cheryl's, yeah. Yeah. Oh okay, she's lifted on. A lot of things that Cheryl's listed on, you know, was out of the kind, Heartbreaker, I, I listed Cheryl on out of the kindness of my heart because everybody was thriving and, <laughs> um, you know, writing and things. And I was like, hey, I'm going to add your name onto this. So, you know, Wow. I didn't know it was going to turn into I'm the writer of the century. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, she went up and accepted this award. And it's kind of like, how can you do that? You wish you're conscious, you know? How can you do that? So that's what that was all about. And it was very misleading. And it was done on such a, a huge platform, Billboard magazine. It was embarrassing because everybody was calling us up, talking about, you know, congratulations, you know? And we didn't, we hadn't heard from the people. And we reached out to them. Hey, you know, we all got on a conference call. We all got together, including Joyce Irby, you know, Robin Greider. And we let them know that, no, you can't just say this is a Climax Award and you're just giving it to Cheryl Cooley and not including any of this. Right. I guess I was a little confused because when I looked at, I was trying to dig a little bit more, obviously you, you, no, we do a little bit of research here, but I, I went. I found this website called Law 360 that actually has some of the documents and everything. And the way that the case read mm -hmm. was Cheryl Cooley versus Bernadette Cooper and Joyce Irby, yes. insinuating that you were the defendant. Right. Okay, let me tell how, you what happened. Let me tell you what how, happened. Yeah, how um, how was she the plaintiff here? <laughs> well, well, what what at this? And these are all separate occurrences. Okay, during the time there was a time. Um, that we weren't able to uh, trademark the name Climax because another company had the name, right? right? And so we weren't able to trademark it. We had lost, you know, you know, lapsed time, and we somebody else grabbed it. So during this time, Joyce Irby and I were the only two members that were out. I think well, I don't know if Lorena was with us. No, she wasn't at this time. We were out touring together. Okay, so you had Cheryl Cooley band, and then Joyce and Irby and I, we had other members that we'd hire to go out on the road with us. And the name I found out was available. So I told Joyce, I said, let's go after the name. Now, if I wanted to do something sneaky, I could have gone after the name on my own, but I thought that since Joyce and I were together on the road, let's go after this name and we could figure out what we're gonna do with it later. But let's just go in and try to get this name because it's available. It is our brand. So when we did that, uh, Cheryl Cooley filed an opposition. That's why. Oh. You know, so it, it, it went on down to the wire. And what, had, what happened was um, we made an agreement, okay? And, you know, with the Truth in Music Act. Are you familiar with the Truth in Music Act? Well, you just have to. You can, it's kind of like the band name, but you also have to like include like a featuring yeah. whoever. Yeah, it, the truth in music is any group that was a part of a successful group has a right. The, any original member who was a part of a successful group has a right to make a living by using the name. That's a new law, you know. But so with the Truth in Music Act, and you know, Mary Wilson had a big part. She had a, she was in, she was a part of making that happen. Right. putting that law into effect. So therefore, we decided, we came to a conclusion, and if you continue reading, you'll see that we all go out, anybody's entitled to use their name, 
as long as it's you know our our our, our names are are trailing. Climax featuring Bernadette Cooper. Climax featuring Cooley. Climax featuring Joyce. So, you know, if they have a right to do that, right? That cannot be stopped, mm-hmm. right? So, but in doing that, you know, we gotta we gotta stay. We gotta follow the the um the, the law the rule that we put into place. And Cheryl Cooley has a hard time doing that to this day. And I'm and I just reached out to her recently, asked her what is the problem. She now she wants to go out as the original climax, and she's not the original climax. Yeah, you know, I, I think I saw some. If you search for Cheryl Cooley climax on YouTube, there's actually somebody recorded her entire show from like just a few years ago, 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, five years ago now at this point, but it, it doesn't even. I mean, while she's there and she's present center yeah. stage it, it doesn't yeah. even she's got a, some really young girls so it doesn't even it kind of removes the mystique of you know these yeah, are it's, old, it's, these are older ladies this is kind of like a uh, it, no offense to her i mean it it sounded okay it wasn't really organized well there was a lot of weird yeah you know a lot of you know and she's entitled to do anything she yeah i know do. i mean but but you know follow the guidelines and and you know right you know the quality is you know is you know you know hey what can you yeah. do yeah, there was a weird thing. Um, she said the VH1 bands reunited special. I guess it happened in two thousand four. There you um, go. There you yeah, go. Right she, there. you know, she when when they they did show her at the very very beginning, sitting down with Lorena, and uh, they were talking about some of those legal legal issues. But this is like even five years before the two thousand nine thing, where she plaintiffed you or whatever. But it was really, really low volume, and Lorena said, "I'm just, you know, I'm surprised you're even here, and you know, I, you know, uh, you can't, you know, uh, you know, playing with the band's name and whatever." And, and, and what did she say? And, and she and Cheryl said, "Well, you know, we all have the right to do that." Right, and then she also <laughs> said, "In that which has been used in a lot of legal filings, which I've been filing this whole year, I don't really want to get into that, but." I think, you know, I've, I've been kind of doing that to try to just bring some sanity to it all, you know, but she uh, stated in that that she would no longer do it. She just wants to go out, play music, and she wants right. to go out Cheryl Cooley and Climax or Climax featuring Cheryl Cooley. And we were like, cool, right? So let's just stick with that because now we got a record of you saying that. Yeah, and but when, when she exited the room, what she said was, well, can I say Cheryl Cooley formally of climax and you right. and everybody in the room was like yeah we're cool with that yes right. but then yes. that's not what happened that's but, not what happened and that's the problem it didn't yeah, happen like that yeah, and my thing is in this, that room is palpable yeah my thing is this everybody can go out and do their thing you know all of our shows are different my show is completely different than joyce's show my my show is completely different than cheryl cooley's show it's a different vibe but it's still playing the climax music which keeps it all alive but in yeah. doing that, let's just follow the rules. Let's just be fair and not try to do undermined, underhanded things to bring people down. That's the part of it that, you know, is, is um, you know, the, the problem that we have with Cheryl Cooley. You know, she just won't stay on track of being, you know, just recently I had to send out this, I'm going to have a very, very, a major, I I just had to go, We, I had to send her a letter, you know, from a very reputable law firm to stop this. So hopefully we can just move forward and she can continue doing what she's doing. But you can't go out and say you're the original climax and mislead people. Right. 
Or do it climaxing. Right, right. Peach you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes, <laughs> right. sometimes small. you know what? Sometimes I have to put that on the promoters too. Because yeah. I've I've in mm. the past have signed contracts and I always put climax feature in Bernadette Cooper. But they'll just put it out as climax, you know, right. for whatever reason. And even you either you go and you change it or you don't, you know. Right. So Right. You know, but my contracts always say Climax Feature and Bernadette Cooper because I want people to know what they're coming to get and the kind of show. It's completely different. Yeah. And which is which brings us to uh, this, this closing part of the show where I want to uh, talk about some of the stuff you're doing right now and this tour that you are, are continuing in. I did not know that you that you had already been actively touring. I'm very, very yeah. excited about that. So, But I want to talk about some uh, just a couple of the, the new songs. You did send me some tracks. We will be mm-hmm. playing. I will put them on rotation on the uh, radio show. We do okay. have a radio show that plays 24-7. I'm going to put them on there for you. The reason why we haven't played any uh, here is because this actually broadcast out to Facebook Live and YouTube. And when they hear copyrighted music, they immediately kick everybody off. So, gotcha. but, but on the ones that are going to be once this launches tomorrow on Spotify and iHeartRadio and all that, the music's going to be there. So, okay, great. Uh, so you got some new music floating around out there, including the song uh, "Feathers" you did with Lorena, which is yeah, I do. A, I do a lot right? of. I got a I goddess a, of the goddess of the universe is fire. Let me just go. Ahead. Goddess of the universe is fire. Let me tell you about. Oh that. my god, that's, that's that's me and that's me and Osan Lottie. I'm doing some work. In fact, I'm doing an EP <laughs> with Osan Lottie as we speak. But wow. if anybody doesn't know Osan Lottie, he's just the king of of the world as far as remixes. Do you, are you familiar? I, I was not. I I think I've seen his name, but I'd never really kind of latched onto him. But after hearing this, I am definitely going to go down a rabbit hole with him. Yes, we we um we've been doing some work together and releasing a lot of things in the UK because I I really want to. That's going to be my next base of um, living as well as performing. So we've been doing little things and working with Osanlati. Goddess of the Universe, though, he and I, we we were really going through um, a thing of, I think it should be released in the summer. No, it should be released now, summer. So he had it up to be released, and he was supposed to pull it back. Something happened. It didn't come back. And the next thing we know, the song was released. So we weren't able to promote it. Like we wanted to, but I'm re-releasing it. Oh, okay. okay. Now I have to think. There's also another song that's out there, and and I have to think with all the history and drama that's been going on recently, the the song title "May the Best Girl Win." Yeah. Was there any? Was that intentional? No. 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 Okay. May the best girl win as far as relationships is pretty much you know <laughs> stay in your own lane you know there's a, there's a man on every corner so we don't have to fight over it so may the best girl win yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's Lorena and that's Lorena and I we have a couple things that we're going to be releasing soon yeah I was hoping there was drama okay yeah uh, yeah no there was there- no drama is there a new album or EP coming out in the near future? You kind of been doing. I know we're kind of in a singles world right now, um, but you know, you, you know, we're all we all come from you know the sixties and seventies, and and so we're used to that album mm-hmm. thing. Is 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 one on the near horizon or in the future at all? Or there's you just a, kind of there's a Bernadette Cooper record coming out, and there's a Climax record coming out. Okay. What a Climax record with you on it? Yeah. Okay, well, I just want to... <laughs> no, no. you know what I'm asking. You know what? And you're the first to hear that. That's awesome. We're talking 2022. <laughs> uh, we talking 20... I'm going to keep you informed with that. 
That's like loud. How can uh, you inform as that moves along? 22 or 23, are you thinking? Mm, 22. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yay! Yeah. Um, and of course, uh, she's also going to be sending me some outtakes of Madame X. So, uh, <laughs> so you, you already told me kind of what the inspiration was for the new explosion of music and show appearances and stuff, and I'm so excited. Uh, but on Facebook, on November 22nd, uh, I you released this banner that said, Climax featuring Bernadette Cooper 2022. And I saw this tagline that I caught my eye. It said new crew in 2022. So talk yes. about who, who's in the band. Well, that's Cassandra, Cassandra O'Neill. Right. Cassandra O'Neill. And I have Crystal. Um, Crystal uh, who? It's not, it's not Crystal Knight. Oh, is okay. it Knight? Oh, I got to get that right. And um, um, we have uh, Jenny on guitar. Myra is my DJ, you know. Uh, um, we got me, we have, um, uh, oh God. They, they the like DJ, are, are you using the DJ aspect of it to kind of recreate some of those, the, the, the sounds and stuff that you, know, you probably, like you were talking about the certain drums yeah, yes. and stuff like yes. that. Okay. And, and also, you know, my show can be slightly dramatic, you know what I mean? In a way. So we do, we do, depending on. You know, because I have two facets of my show. I have Diva and a Turntable, which is more of a two-girl, three-girl kind of crew with a drummer. You know, for maybe maybe people who don't have the money for a big back line. And it's more theatrical of a show. And it's fun. And it's funky. So I use a DJ for that. And then Myra just keeps the party going. Because, you know, I, I, I leave. I come back. All the girls are equally talented. The vocalists are the bomb. So... You know, everybody, everybody gets a chance to shine and have a good time. So the, the DJ just allows us to be, um, to have a lot of fun and do different things. So I, I am curious, though, um, not to kind of shade any type of shadow on this or anything, but it was did you reach out to any of the old members of Climax to see if they were interested in, in going on the road? Or are they just not interested? or? Um, no, I didn't reach out. Um Lorena's been going through some health issues, you mm. know, she's, she's put that. that and she's, you know, and I, I phys physically that, that just wouldn't, would not be good for her right now. Right. Lynn is probably deciding to, you know, she had a business and she just closed that. So I'm sure she's deciding on what she wants to do in life. But, you know, I, I may bring, I may bring them in for things to do. You know, I'm not opposed to. You know, you know, I've invited Lynn to a, 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 a something that I'm doing at the Globe in Los Angeles on, on Mother's Day to come up on stage and maybe play I Miss You, you know. So I, I'm kind of bringing them in or whatever, but this is, you know, this is the crew that I move out with because everybody in Climax doesn't really want to go back on tour. You know right, what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, like, been there, yeah, done that. People mm -hmm. always want the original Climax, but, they, you know, original Climax are not, you know, so therefore, um, you know, I, I get my crew, I go out, I do my versions, I add my songs in from, from, from Madame X, I add show songs in from uh, drama according to Bernadette Cooper, but it's mainly a good climax song with good music, great fashion, fun, sexy, it's really a good show. So you, you insert Madame X songs in there too? Yes, I do. Okay, so... Are, 
Are there any, you said you were, you're working a little bit on Atlanta. Just again, reach out to Jeff and I, we could probably pull some yeah, strings. Yeah, well, you know what? If, if you go to my, if you go to Climax, um, uh, I think it's official, Climax Official Bernadette. Yeah, ClimaxOfficial.com. Okay. I mean, is it Climax Official? Yeah. ClimaxOfficial.com. And then you have Bernadette, then you have ClimaxBernadetteCooper.com, right? Yeah. That's the one uh, I, yeah. Yeah. ClimaxOfficial.com has the tour dates. Now, they're hidden right now because I'm just waiting for all the business to be done. But um, there's Cancun. There's There's a lot of things that are coming up. And um, Atlanta, I believe, in, is in the works. So, but I will have, um, you know, we'll talk. Yeah, it's climaxofficial.com. It does forward you there. I think when, when you click on tour schedule, though, it, it pulls up a screen. Well, it did for a second. It's a password protected. Yeah, it's, it's a password protected yeah, there. Because, in the sense I, I'm just, yeah, I'm yeah. going to release that in 2022. Well, you know where to find us because we, Jeff and I will be there with that. And of course, all the Funkatopians here will be there be here also but man i let me just go ahead and say thank you so so much for being so gracious with your time we had i mean i i think we've asked all the questions that that we had wanted to ask and i am just uh beside myself i'm so so glad we got you on the show it's been an absolute honor i'm looking forward to new climax music in 2022 new madam new well not new madam x new bernadette cooper music coming in uh, I'm looking forward to all that. And of course the tour as well. I'm sure everybody's waiting with bated breath for you to hit their city. So just keep us informed and we will absolutely pass the word on uh, for you. Uh, it's. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, well, thank you. And also and I, I'm writing, I'm writing, I've been writing for the last, um, I have a series of books coming out of fiction. So. Um, okay. Uh, Good Lord uh, woman. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's my actually that's my passion right now. More, I mean, music wow. is always my number one, but I am so excited about my books and this really, really cool stuff. You know, just, and, I mean, it's it's fiction. It's not. It seems like you got a story. You got stories to I tell. Have but, stories to tell, but I'm not. You know. Yeah. In order to tell my stories, I have to involve a lot of people, and I don't really want to. You know, release right. people's personal things, and you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and all the all the stuff, but I thought about it, but I, that that wouldn't be me. I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that, you know. So, but the fiction stuff is 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 from the the imagination and the mind of Bernadette Cooper. So it's really cool, and um, it's a series of them. It's many. I've written about maybe about five or six, and the first one is called The Strokes. It'll be out, and it's audio books. So I'm talking. Oh, well, and, I'm, I'm, and I'm playing all the characters with your iconic voice. Yeah, I'm, well, no. I'm, well I'm, my voice and many other voices. So I'm, I'm, I'm having a good time doing this. I really, really love doing it. And um, I'll let you know when that's going to be released. Oh, yeah. you can go to Bernadette Cooper Book Club. The Bernadette Cooper Book Club is on Facebook. Join it, and you'll be the first to hear it. Oh my gosh, it's, you are just like you're in the zone now. <laughs> I have a, I have about I have about forty more years to do this, so I got to do it. Oh my gosh, you! That's yeah. well. I'm so glad that we're actually been a part of this journey, that you're actually letting us in on some of this uh, new information. And I'm, I'm just, again, thank you for being so gracious with your time, ladies and gentlemen. The legendary Bernadette Cooper.
Thank, Thank you. you. So much. Thank yes. you. Have a good evening, everyone. Uh, have a great evening. And if you missed any part of this interview, be sure that you tune in. Uh, you can also watch it on Facebook Live after we get done here. But if you want an edited version that is going to actually have music uh, behind it as we're talking about it, that will be released tomorrow on Spotify, iHeartRadio, I think Pandora is what this is a bunch of different places. So uh, once again, Bernadette, thank you so, so much. Thank you. All Thanks. right. Good night. Bye-bye.